Conscious Monkeys, before we start the show, I must warn you that there are ads throughout this podcast episode. If you'd like to get the show ad-free, you're able to get access by downloading the official Traveling to Consciousness app. It's available in the Google Play Store and iOS Store. I will note that there is a small monthly fee associated to get these episodes ad-free. And this is an important part. Make sure that any purchases you make, you make on the website, travelingtoconsciousness.com, because products are going to be 15 to 30% more expensive through the app because, you know, the big boys got to get their own check. Even though you're purchasing this stuff through the website, you will still be able to enjoy all this content on the app. Now, if you prefer the free route, you can get a free login on the app, and that will grant you access to challenges and notifications when new episodes arrive, discounts, exclusive content, and so much more. All of this just by searching Traveling to Consciousness in your phone's app store, or click the link below. Now, Conscious Monkeys, let's get the show started. spiritual journeys to find answers in uncertainty. What is up, Conscious Monkeys? Welcome to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness. As always, I am your host, Clayton Kuteri. Today's guest is a rising TikTok star. Uh, we started talking when he was around 7,000 followers, now at 15, and I honestly don't know what it was. There was something about these videos that was just calling to me, and I found my way to reach out to him. Um, and through following him and even through our discussion over the past few days, I, or a few, I guess maybe a week or two, um, yeah. I found out that he has been meditating for eight years, which I found interesting because... I don't think I've found too many other millennials that have been meditating for a longer time period than I have. So I was like, ah, got to find this guy out. Come to find out he also went through a huge party phase in college. I was like, shit, me too. He's played sports in high school. I was like, shit, me too. (laughs) And so guys, without further delay, Conscious Monkeys, welcome to the show, Andrew Feinstein. Andrew, thank you for being here. Clayton, what's going on, man? I appreciate you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you for taking your time out of your day. Um, Come on. Yeah, man. I also will say most people do not pronounce my name correctly, but you nailed it on the button, man. I'm like, uh, most people are like Feinstein, Finstein, Feinstein, man, right on the button. I dig it. Hell yeah. I didn't even ask either. I didn't didn't even think about asking you. (laughs) You just went with it, man. Yeah. (laughs) Must be tapped in. It's always a good sign. Always. Um, So... We actually started, You, we got in and uh, we started talking about, you're like, how's your day going? And I was like, man, I've actually been a little, a little anxious today. And um, we started rifting on just like the topic of anxiety. And I was like, well, maybe we need to stop then pause this and actually just start recording. Cause I know anxiety is something that plagues our entire generation far too often. Yeah. I, I, first, man, I'll say that like, I super appreciate, you know, you, you answering in the way that you did. Right. I think like often we'll ask somebody like, Hey man, how you doing? 
and everybody's like, fine, good. You know, it's like the standard like response that we've kind of like regurgitated. So it's like, you know, when you ask somebody, how are you? You don't really give a shit. Like, you're kind of just like, yeah, like I'm just, you know, making conversation. I'm doing the rounds. I'm saying what needs to be said. And I think if people are more honest and we're like, you know, Simona, you said like, hey, man, yeah, I, I, I'm good, but I'm feeling a little anxiety. I think it like it humanizes our experience and opens the door for people to also like be able to talk to one another. Um, so I think it's pretty cool that, you know, when people kind of actually show up with their emotions and, and really say what they're feeling. So first, you know, I commend you for being able to do that. I think that um, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and second, yeah, I think you're, you're, you're right. You know, anxiety is uh, is this thing that we've kind of turned into like a yeah this is just something we all got and um it's uh it's really funny right because like you'll see people that like even have like really bad anxiety and it's like there there are different relationships that people have with it you know it sucks when they hate it but when they don't want to do something they're kind of like yeah no it's my anxiety like i you know i like i can't make that phone call i can't be a salesperson i can't go out on friday you know it's like you you want it both ways um and, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this right now. It's very, like, apropos in my life where I'm, like, I, I think a very interesting message that people need to hear is that, like, anxiety is not you. Even if you have, like, crippling anxiety, which at moments in my life I have, like, that is not who you are. It's a experience going on in your head, chemicals being released, different feelings, different thought patterns that are keeping you down. And there are definitely techniques that you can employ to help work through that and kind of distance yourself. Because the second you can realize, like, here's me, the like energy source being, and here's like my anxiety that's keeping me down, you can actually start to like do something about that. That's your years of meditating coming through. I can see it already. <laughs> <laughs> the old distance between stimulus and response, you know, it's uh, meditation 101. Right. And we're going to get into that for sure. But to even reel it back a little bit on the anxiety thing and, you know, talking about how it's just like, hey, like, here's how I'm feeling kind of thing. Like it does. There's two powerful things, right? One is it teaches me it's okay to be vulnerable with people like, yep, here's yeah. what's going on. Like, this is how I'm feeling. I'm not sure why, blah, blah, blah. And the beautiful thing about it is, <laughs> is like, for me, I was like, you know, I have my reasons for believing that I'm going through anxiety, which as we pointed out, I was like, you know, I didn't take a shower last night. And sometimes I use the, that as like this cleansing ritual. And so I think that was a piece of it. And then you even brought up, you were like, yeah, it's like kind of one of those things like before a sporting event. And, you know, the fact that I'm, you know, sitting down for a podcast, like I get excited to interview people. And so that yeah. could be a piece of this anxiety. And so it's interesting how even just bringing that up with someone else, it makes you relatable and makes you mm -hmm. in a position of like, holy shit, like Clint's being vulnerable with me. Like, let me see if I can help him out. You can now help me out. And I appreciate it for that. Yeah. You know? And so it becomes this this cycle this healing cycle that we have a door to open at any point in time and you know it feels like especially as men maybe it's like you know feelings we're yeah. that's we're gonna hide those yeah I, you know i think it's so interesting when when i look at it too because i'm like when you when you're vulnerable with somebody it's also not necessarily like asking for the solution, right? Like not everybody is the Dalai Lama. Not everybody can give you some wise sage wisdom that like changes your life. But I think often we walk around with feelings and we're kind of like, we're the only fucked up person in the room, you know, like everybody else has their stuff together and we're the one that has all of these problems, all of this shit. And like, I think when you start to 
be open and actually say how you're feeling and other people one either like reciprocate and kind of open up themselves or two just like hold space for you to share instead of being like you know i think there's always this fear that like we'll say something and like whether it's our caveman mind of like you admit weakness and like somebody's gonna stab and kill you because like you're you know a problem to the tribe but like it's kind of um when you do become vulnerable you don't even need somebody to fix the problem for you, I find. It's just being able to admit that there is one and have somebody else be like, vibes. Like, I feel. Like, I understand. Like, I'm there. I'm in my own place, too. Like, I got stuff going on up here. And, um, yeah, I think uh, you're right, too. As men, it's kind of like there's one emotion that you're allowed to feel, and that's anger. And then it's like, <laughs> it's great and all until, like, you take it too far and, um you know, I, I, I've had my fair share when I was growing up of holes that I punched in walls because, you know, that's the only emotion I knew how to feel. And like, really, it's, you know, sadness or uh, bereft or, you know, um, like loneliness, but it all comes out as anger. And that's like that to me is like the big problem, right? It's kind of like you're still feeling emotions. You're just now channeling them in a way that like isn't productive for your growth. Oh, for sure. And it's funny you say that because I remember as is going to maybe touch on our drinking too much uh, college days <laughs> where I was at a party and it wasn't I wasn't like that drunk. Right. I was, you know, I wasn't really even towards like the phase of browning out, but I was intoxicated. I've never like gotten violent before. I've never gotten angry. And there was kind of this chick that I was quasi talking to. I mean, you know, who really knows still trying to get in tune with my feelings and we were at a party and I remember seeing her make out with a guy and this surge of anger just went through me. Mm. I remember leaving the party, punching a wall, I fucked up my hand and mm. going home later that night and still being pissed off. And one of my buddies, um, childhood friends was actually in town that weekend and he was like kind of consoling me like, cause I kind of like started crying and I'm sitting there like thinking to myself, like, why am I pissed? Like, this doesn't make sense to me. Like, you know, there isn't even mm. this strong connection between the both of us, but yet I still felt this feeling that I was owed something even. And it was like, why did I get pissed? Why did I punch this wall? Like, why am I mad at her? It was this huge, like cascade effect of emotions coming up, mm. this, this bubbling up of a mixture of unworthiness. And it kind of goes to the point of like, well, I'm not allowed to express myself. I have to express myself through this unhealthy and this I'll give the devil his due this toxic masculinity of diving into the anger, showing my frustration, showing I'm tough enough to punch this wall. And then it's like, why the hell did I just do all that? It was like so foreign yeah. to me, this, this, <clears throat> this investigation that kind of got sparked by that whole thing. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I feel like the first guy to admit that like my, my past with anger is not healthy, right? Like, um, I think it's so tough, right? Something happens and like, it's a trigger response in your body. Like you, the emotions become so overwhelming that you kind of just regress to like, okay, well, I can't throw a temper tantrum in public. You know, it's like all of the stuff we're trained as a child, like, all right, like, you know, boys don't cry, like suck it up, you know, be a soldier. Don't, don't, you know, show your emotion. Um, you know, even like something as simple as like when you have a temper tantrum as a kid, your parents obviously like that's not enjoyable for them, especially if it's in public. So it's like immediately your emotions from an early age are shut down. Um, and then 
as we grow up and like real things happen, whether it's like feeling, you know, um, betrayed by somebody in your life, even if it's like not necessarily like warranted, like that's the problem too, right? Is feelings aren't rational, but we're taught to be rational. So you try to approach all of this rational crap with an irrational undertone to it. Um, or sorry, you try to approach this irrational crap with like a rational undertone to it. And it ends up being an explosion of like things just hitting each other, right? You have your rational and irrational smashing. And then you have your like, I have all of these feelings. I don't really know what they are. Okay. I know how to express anger. And like, you know, it's, it all kind of like molds together in that way. Right. Like whether it's also like, um, movies we see, TV shows, just stuff that happens throughout our upbringing. It's like punching a hole in a wall is like a cool thing. You know, it shows you're strong. It shows you have force. It shows that you're a man. Um, quote unquote, but like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Um, and then it just ends up like you end up leaving feeling like crap, right? Like, I think you said it best. It's like, you use the anger and then all of a sudden under the anger tears start coming and you're like, not sure what the hell is going on. You're like, wait, I'm angry. Why am I crying? And the real reason is like, you're not angry. You're sad, but you don't know how to feel sadness. So when you let out the anger and just do whatever, you know, that's how I felt it too. Is like, it would start in my chest and it would just like bubble up. And all of a sudden I would feel it in my hands. And that's why I felt the need to hit something. Cause I was like, it'll at least go from my hand out and like, I won't have to feel it. And the problem is the anger is really a protection mechanism for like whatever else is lying underneath. So the second you release the anger, you get to see everything else that's, you know, kind of at play for you. I mean, that's so true. And it's what's resonating within me to say is like it, it's an emotional response of some sort. And I'm not sure you know, your parental situation. But I know for me, upbringing, a lot of things like with my father, like whenever he wasn't happy about something or he didn't know how to articulate or have a conversation, it was anger. Like anger was the outlet. Mm. Um, I can think of instances where I would get confused about certain situation. And my dad's, geez, I keep hitting my mic. I don't know if it's picking that up. (laughs) Um, But for some reason, anger was his modality of handling it. There was never, and I, I've got a great relationship with him now. We can talk about this stuff. And so I assume he's okay yeah. with me sharing all this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but his knee-jerk reaction, which I'm sure he learned from his father before him, was anger. It's like there was never a conversation about certain things. And mm. so instead of talking about my feelings, why am I doing certain things? I remember um, I remember whenever I he caught me... Uh, Ah, uh, what was it? He caught me just doing something I shouldn't have been doing when I was younger. And he just started yelling and then mm. broke out into crying. So he even experienced that same level that we're talking here where his progression was anger and then crying. And I mean, he didn't articulate it, but maybe even for him, there was this level of, okay, why am I getting mad? Why am I not having a conversation with my child? And of course, to me, all I hear mm. is like, I need to shut down. And my role model is to just get mad when I don't understand something. Hmm. It's, um, emotions are a tricky business. I mean, I, you know, it's why, it's why therapy exists in, in the, you know, (laughs) kind of vastness that it does, because I think, um, you know, and this is like probably a whole nother conversation, but I've always felt like, you know, the, the schooling system has like a problem in the sense that like when you're growing up, where do you learn? You learn at home and you learn at school and like, great, we can do geometric proofs and basic algebra but like, to be real, 
that shit never comes into your life. Like the second that you get a job, you get a calculator or you get Excel. You don't really need to like know all of the stuff that they're teaching you to the level they are. And like, it's great. Still do that. But why are there no classes on how to handle your emotions? Why are there no classes on recognizing that like your breathing also is connected to your emotions, right? Even if somebody taught little kids that like, hey, when you're sad, your breathing starts to get really choppy. When you're angry, your breathing starts to get really heavy. You know, when you're anxious, your breathing starts to get really rapid. And all you need to do in that moment in order to get some space is take a nice deep breath. And like, you know, it's like if you've ever worked with somebody or like been in a spot where you've almost held on to your own anxiety for so long and then you take a deep breath, you're kind of like, holy shit, man, like I have not been breathing. Like it's something that you feel like everybody does. But, you know, the basic innate stuff that we feel like we're supposed to do. But if nobody's teaching it to us, how are we really able to master it? Right. We're just kind of like learning on our own. Right. You know, I feel like somebody could be like, well, you learn like how to speak on your own. I'm like, not really. They like teach us English class. You know what I mean? There, there are grammar lessons. There are ways to like better your craft. Just like, sure, we can learn to breathe on our own, but there are ways to better the craft so that it can actually help you regulate all of this stuff. Right. Um, so, yeah, my belief is that like. It, emotions need to be taught, you know, they need to be kind of looked at and they need to be seen at an early age so that you can actually do something with them. Right. Like anger is not a bad emotion. It's actually a very strong emotion that will move you to do things that you haven't done before, right? Like if you feel lazy and you're like, I'm not doing stuff, if you get angry enough at yourself at, you know, the situation you've created, you'll make a change. Um, and I think like, you know, emotions can be really powerful and they can be catalysts for building the life we want, but you need to be able to actually work with them and not just like let them overpower you and then, you know kind of get you in a place where like you were saying you do shut down because it's like i i don't know how to express any of this and when i do express it people kind of look at me like i have problems and i need help right like if 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 anybody sees you punch a hole in a wall aside from like your other male like friends that are like that's awesome bro you know like if anybody sees you punch <laughs> a wall that like is just like a normal human being not you know kind of like looking at it from like a you know toxic guy's standpoint it's kind of like whoa that's intense, man. You, you've got some shit going on. Like how, how can we work through that? Um, and I think like, yeah, if, if there was more ability to teach that stuff at an early age, I feel like we'd all feel, be able to feel our emotions and work with them so much better. Um, right on the money with you on that, man. And I think where this conversation gets interesting is like for the longest time I was right there with you with like, the school should have like a, a meditation class. They should have a self-awareness mm. type class. I mean, that should be a whole subject on its own, right? That you yeah. are taking 30 to 45 minutes out of every single day for the rest of your life. I mean, honestly, to attune to something like that. I mean, that's the most powerful thing that I think that there probably is. Now, where this conversation gets interesting is, and I'm just kind of putting this together now, is I know that, so let's go back generationally where my mom, um, I've kind of had these like close dialogues with my parents recently along the lines of like, you know, where, like, where's the line with sex ed? You know, I, mm. I've seen that there's news things where teachers believe that the school should be teaching kids about sexual education. There's a level where I believe that parents should be teaching their kids about sexual education. But then mm. I even asked my mom this and she had this whole story about 
um, you know, questions that revolving around sex that she was supposed to ask her parents. And she remembers very vividly. So she would have probably been in middle school, you know, whatever this is 60 years ago. That's probably too much. Sorry, mom. Don't mean to date you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, You know, two, three generations ago, let's say. And she asked her mom, like, where is the sexual education supposed to happen? Conscious monkeys. I need to tell you about these psychedelic fabric mushrooms that are absolutely incredible that have just come across. They're all one of a kind and are honestly a perfect trip buddy. They're an incredible addition to anyone's like house or room who takes psychedelics and you have a certain spot that you like to go and relax. You're going to have to check out these Aquarius mushrooms. These high-end mushrooms are made with 100% recycled material and are all one of a kind. Honestly, these mushrooms are something I'm not going to be able to describe in words alone. You're going to need to check out the link below and search to see if you can find one that resonates with your soul. Remember, they're all one of a kind and made from 100% recycled material. Aquarius mushrooms, premium mushrooms for the new age of enlightenment. Get yours today. And with that being said, conscious monkeys, let's get back to the interview. And her mom's response was, is you're supposed to learn from your peers. And it's like Mm. her mom believed that her peers were supposed to teach her about sexual education, which is wild to me. That's wild, right? Like, like here she grew up in an environment (laughs) where her parents did not feel comfortable talking about sex with her. And it's interesting too, because I felt like that that was a gap in our relationship as well, where I felt like that's, that should be. And it's so funny looking back on it. Cause that was always felt like a taboo topic with them. And so to kind of wrap all this back in, it's like, you know, there's so many different conversations from mathematics to sexual orientation and how sex works to self-awareness. And then the question becomes is whose responsibility in the society is it to educate the next generation on these items? Mm. I think it's, it's a really interesting topic. It, it, you know, makes me think, um, I, I took this really interesting class while I was in school. Um, like it was called the social responsibility of business. And um, it was the only class I've ever like, I didn't bring a backpack. I didn't bring a notepad. I just sat and I listened. You know, I was a second semester senior. I didn't really care. There weren't really any tests in the class. It was more just like a nice little like fun time for me to listen. And I remember something always stuck out to me from like one of our first classes that like I will never forget, which is this idea that like people do not disagree over moral norms. They just disagree over how to get to them. Right. So it's like, Mm. I mean, you know, this might make people heated right now, but it's kind of like, all right, I'll take like the very basic example of like back in the day, you know, thousands of years ago, um, you know, when there were Vikings and, you know, there were Saxons and like, you know, there was kind of like Norway and then England and everything. They, they had two different ways to care for their dead, right? The Vikings would put them on a boat, shoot them out into the middle of the ocean and like light them on fire with like a burning arrow. And that was like the way to like get people to heaven or, you know, their form of heaven. Um, and the Saxons, you know, the people mainly from England would bury the dead because that was their way of showing respect for, you know, somebody that uh, had perished. Uh, both cultures would say you need to care for the dead, you know, like you can't just let them sit there. You know, they both want to do the same thing. They just have different ways of approaching it. Yet wars will be fought over the difference in the way that they approach it, because it's like, how dare you burn your dead? That's disgusting. That's like defiling a body. That's like, you know, so I think to me, it brings up the same feeling of like, all right, well, if you start to teach sex ed in school, 
depending on who you're learning from, everybody's going to have like a different, you know, kind of point that makes them feel a certain way, right? Some people might be like, sex isn't allowed until marriage. Other people might be like, contraception is good. Other people might say like, don't ever use contraception. Wait until marriage. If you, you know, get pregnant, sorry, too bad. Like you can't have an abortion. That's not allowed. There are different ways that people look at it, but I imagine everybody would agree. We want people to practice sex safely. We want them to do it with somebody that they care about. And when they decide to have a child, we want them to be ready, prepared, and actually be able to enjoy and embrace that moment, right? We just all disagree over how it gets to that. Um, And I think that like that starts to be, in my mind, the rub where it's like, how can you actually educate somebody on something when you're not teaching them facts, you're teaching them subjective opinion, and now you're like molding an early mind with something that, you know, you feel is important, right? Like, I think, you know, to me, I'm like the the kind of gender and, and sex, you know, equation is I, I think one of the most apparent in our society now is like, everybody would agree that like people should be able to be themselves and be happy. But to some people, there are differences on like what that means. Um, and I, I, I think it's, it's really tough because now people are not able to get the proper education that they need in certain places because of somebody else's opinions or because the way somebody was raged or the rigidness that people have. Um, and I don't know, whenever I see this stuff, I always just try to like look at, um, you know, an inspiration for me, which is the Dalai Lama. Like I'm like, here's a dude that like, you know, was ousted from his, uh, you know, um, hometown in Tibet when he was 16 years old. He's chosen at the Dalai Lama as five years old. Like, I mean, he really has, he has not had his own life. His life was determined for him and he's had a bunch of shit. And yet, you know, I feel like he's, uh, the progression that he has made in what he allows, you know, in a, in a culture that I would say is very, um, rooted in its beliefs. Uh, you know, and he is the first person to ever throw kind of symposiums on science and, you know, Buddhism. And I think like looking at stuff like that, when you're like, all right, here's somebody that is leading an entire nation of beliefs and yet is like adapting to the way of the world in order to better what they're working on. I think that's what I try to look for is like change isn't bad. It's frankly good. And if you can like take a step back and like get out of your own head, um, I think people will realize like we don't disagree over moral norms. We don't disagree over like the basic things, which is like people should be happy. People should have equal opportunity. People should be able to do the things that, you know, make their life better. We just disagree over how they should get there. Um, But we disagree pretty strongly because that shit causes wars. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, and it's crazy too, right? If you want to even take that part to a religious perspective, and this is something I've spent a lot of time trying to investigate. And I really think I visited Jerusalem and this is where like I really got blasted with it is like, you know, all within the city of Jerusalem is essentially Muslims, <clears throat> Israelis and um, Israelis, Jews, Muslims, Jews and Christians. Right. And what really blows my mind well, is a couple things. Number one, the fact that Israel's like has three languages as its official languages, which is Arabic, mm-hmm. Ju- Hebrew yep. and English. But then the next level of it is they all agree that the most profound things in their religion all happened within this like 300 foot radius <laughs> from Christ carrying the cross of, you know, whenever he, um, resur- no, resurrection, but his crucifixion to the Western wall, which is, I believe is mm. the Jewish most like, um, the Jewish, like it's like the most, uh, iconic thing for, uh, Jews is to pray at mm. the Western wall to, yep. 
Temple Mount for the Muslims, which is like just above the Western Wall. And this is all within a 15, 20 minute walk of each other. And I find it so amazing. Um, I guess we're going down this rabbit hole. I find it so amazing that to your point that it's like everyone's going to kill over their beliefs. But you take a step back. It's like, guys, look at what we agree upon. We agree upon that some crazy ass shit happened within this 300 foot radius of mm. each other. And if you break apart <laughs> all three religions, they, they like have very similar core messages within all of them. That's like, yeah. you know, be a good person, you know, think about others the way you want to be treated. And, you know, maybe a couple others. I'm not an expert in, um, you know, Muslim culture, so I can't really talk to that too much. Um, but to me, it's like, you know, and then we're willing to kill millions and millions of people. And still to this day, you know, you see the onslaught that is kind of still playing out between the Jews and the Muslims. And to me, I just find it yeah. really, I mean, it's, you know, and in, in one lens, it's terrible, <laughs> but in another lens, it's it's really fascinating that we still are not taking a second to be, guys, be like, yo, guys, look how much we actually agree upon as opposed to like, yeah. it's like, no, we're right. No, we're right. It's like, dude, you're, everybody's yeah. a little bit right. Let's just talk about it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's um, it's ingrained within us, right? It's thousands and hundreds of thousands of years of like tribal mentality that is kind of like, look, I, I got my people's back. My people have mine. And like you, you draw the line there, right? Like, um. In you know, you've all know Harari's book Sapiens, which, you know, everybody loves and is kind of toted as like one of the greatest, you know, anthologies of our people. Um, and by our people, I just mean like humankind. Um, it says that like, you know, a, a tribe, a group of people, a social group can get to like 150 people, like 150 individual people before it starts to break off and like factions start to form and like things start to go to shit. Um, and like there's 7 billion people in the world. So like as creatures, the idea that we could all unite as one is like so crazy because like it's how we're ingrained to feel right. Is like, we don't f inherently trust people. So you want to like form small groups that you can trust at the same time. You know, I, I think the one thing that does make humans different from all other species is that we have the ability to care about somebody we've never met. So and we have these like two differing this, forces. Yeah. I'd love to break this down a little bit more because I think meditation could come into this, this conversation really nicely where I'm on, I'm on board with you about what you're breaking down with sapiens. And let's take this a step further. I'm not sure um, how much like research or whatnot you've done with the idea of like semen retention or, you know, basically, you know, holding, <laughs> holding onto your load. Uh, but the core principle is, is that, you know, you can get into this very creative state and, and accelerate it's in, it's in all these books from, um, the, but the main one that sticks out is, uh, think and grow rich where he talks about mm. how, you know, men who don't usually don't understand it until roughly the age of 40, where if you hang on to your seed and you're not just spreading it everywhere, you actually get to this like yeah. much more powerful and creative state. And so then to tie this all back into what you're saying, where, essentially the biology comes gets kicks into play at about that 150 number the biology gets kicked in with men where it's like you know we're producing millions of reproductive cells each day we're mm. biologically programmed to spread the seed whereas with women you know they're biologically programmed to protect and hang on because they only produce one per month 
And, you know, yeah. in that time frame, we probably produced a billion. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so where I'm trying to get to with this is like, there's this level of ascending above the biological programming or DNA that we have to come to this place of realization where we can transcend, we can transcend our biological structure to make a better planet, mm. to, mm. to come out of, you know, this place of whether you want to call it masculine or feminine, you know, you, you become whole, you, you heal or integrate that wounded masculine, you know, you heal your wounded feminine and you become this embody the yin and the yang, which would then transcend your, transcend your gender in a sense shit where you become one with all. <laughs> I don't know why that sounds so funny, but that's how it comes to me. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I think um, in my mind, like what, what you're getting at is that like <clears throat> there, are, you know, there are all of these things that, that we are born with, right? You're born with your genetics, you have your epigenetics, you have all of the things that kind of like make you who you are in that moment. And I think this plays really nicely into everything we've been talking about, right? Anxiety included, where it's like, you can look at something and just kind of be like, look, that's how I was raised, that's how I was born, that's how it is. Or, you know, you can realize that like a human birth gives you the opportunity to explore new things, to look at things differently, to change your beliefs. And, you know, I was listening to a great podcast the other day uh, with Andrew Huberman, who I think is is a fascinating, you know, uh, mind in the space of kind of like, you know, being an actual uh, learned academic and doctor, you know, um, talking about how the mind works. Um, and he said that, you know, basically when when you um, learn something, something new and your beliefs change, there is like a physical thing happening in the brain and like your chemical makeup changes. Um, and that feeling that you get when you're like learning something and it feels weird or like you disagree with it or like you feel, you know, I think the best way is like learning a skill, right? Like um, if you're learning how to, um, you know, I guess for me, this is like very real time. Like if I'm learning how to edit videos and like, you know, really trying to dive into like, how can I be the best video editor? There will be moments where like I post something and it's embarrassing, like nothing. It doesn't go anywhere. I, it looks stupid. And I basically am in this inflection point of like, all right, the the feeling of embarrassment, the feeling of insecurity is actually my body learning something. And if I push through that, I can actually master something. But the problem is, you know, the older we get, the harder it is for that like neuroplasticity of our brain to change. It doesn't stop, but it's harder. And that feeling of discomfort is something that we want to avoid less and less the older we get. You know, it's like it's how our society is also programmed, right? You get older, you retire, you now are like kind of in this spot where like, you don't have to worry, your life can be your life. And people will say things like, oh, well, they're old, you know, it's fine. Like, you know, you know, everybody has that like, you know, quasi racist or sexist, you know, kind of elder in their family that like, you're like, you want to be able to tell them like, hey, look, you can't say stuff like that. And like there, I, I the amount of times I've heard the adage of like, well, they're old, like, you know, give them a break. And it's kind of like, no, like, no matter how old you are, you can still learn something, but learning is uncomfortable. And I think, you know, right. your point is basically like, yes, we're given everything that we're given, right? Like you're born on this planet and it's kind of like, here's your, you know, hand in poker. Here's your, uh, you know, the chips that you were dealt. What do you want to do with them? Um, and I think, you know, that, that, that to me, it like resonates a lot with my story of like, you know, I was born, you know, uh, as 
uh, white Jewish kid living in kind of a very uh, siloed area where like, you know, most of the people around me kind of looked like me. Um, and I think like a lot of people who don't ever leave their hometown, who don't branch out, who don't find an opportunity to learn more, you know, kind of just stay in whatever they were born into. And it's like, that's how stuff can kind of get passed from generation to generation. It takes a lot to like overcome everything that you were given and try to like make something different for yourself. It's kind of like the rite of passage of human beings, right? It's why the American dream is so appealing of like, no matter where you came from, no matter what you had, you can pull yourself up by your boots and build the life that you've always wanted. Um, it's a story that like resonates at our hearts because like, really, that's what people want is how can we in this birth in this gift that we were given of being alive, uh, basically build a life that transcends all of this shit that we dislike and gets us to a place where like we are truly happy. Um, and I think, you know, last thing I'll say, I think where the, in my mind, where the rub starts to happen and where people start to fall off is like, you start to do everything you think you're supposed to do in order to get there. And at some point there are things that happen that you're like, um, that show you that even when you're doing everything you're supposed to do, you're still not going to get to where you want to be. And I think that's when people start to say, all right, I'm going to settle. And that is like, in my mind, the most dangerous phrase in the English dictionary. Like, you know, I'm going to settle. Um, and I think it's so innate too, right? Like we do it without even realizing. Um, you have a job that pays you well and you don't want to, you know, you, you, you're like, it's good. It's fine. I don't dislike it. But I, you know, I have always had this dream of being a chocolatier or, you know, something that like has really just been in your mind and been passionate about for you. But because your job is fine, you're just going to stay in it, you know? Um, and I think it gets better as the generations go right now. Side hustles become a thing. Now it's like with a platform like TikTok, even like, you know, any of the other social media platforms, like it's way easier to start to get yourself out into the world. But still, I think a lot of people will settle for fine. And that's like when, you know, you start to get become that grumpy old person that's kind of like doesn't want to change because like, why does everybody else get to be bright eyed and bushy tailed and expect the world to be a beautiful place? It wasn't for me, you know? Um, and it also goes back to all the emotion stuff of like, if you don't know how to process what you're feeling, you're just going to be stuck. Um, yeah. And I mean, so. I that even you're touching a lot of stuff that hits me at my core because my story, mm. you know, roughly goes along the lines of like being a software engineer for four years, living in San Diego, California. I had two mm. beaches. If you're familiar with mission beach, I had two beaches within a 30 second walk of my house. I was a software engineer yeah. writing state of the art code for military drones and everything. And mm. on paper, you know, white male <laughs> on paper yeah. in today's society, yeah you can very easily say Clayton has it all. And I didn't feel that way. I felt as if mm. I was like energetically, I was getting absolutely drained. I knew I wasn't where I wanted to be in life. I was finding, you know, trying to do side hustles that were going to get me out of my job and nothing was mm. sticking. And, you know, just throughout my journey, it's a long story in itself, but throughout my journey, I realized I had to quit my job and travel the world. And something that, a story that a part of it to dive into was the last week of my job. I probably the last, probably the second to last day, or maybe the last day, it was probably the last day I was cleaning up all the stuff out of my uh, cubicle. And there was a lady who I had worked on with a project and she was talking to another guy who 
Um, they're both probably in their mid fifties or sixties. And I've never worked on a project, never even met the guy before. I've seen him before, but never interacted with him, mm. but the lady I'd worked on a project. And so they're talking. And as I walk by, the lady kind of says to me like, Oh, Clayton, I saw that you're packing up your stuff. Like what's going on. I was like, yeah, like, you know, I realized that this job isn't the end game for me. I, I could see, I could see like everyone just works here for 40 years. You get your pension, mm. you get your 401k, you retire, mm. you're quote unquote happy. Mm. And I was like, yeah, like I realized this isn't for me. I'd rather take a risk on myself, blah, blah, blah. And the guy standing there, he goes, not even making eye contact with me. He's like, man, I wish, I wish I could just kind of quit my job and kind of just, I wish I would just, I would, I wish I could do that kind of thing. And it came across mm. me as kind of like this bitter resentment. But what I realized <laughs> is, is like, you know, this guy wasn't 50 some years old with a house mortgage with kids at, you know, some point in time. I don't know his life story, but yeah, I have to imagine at some point in time, he always had this option. He was 25 at some point. He was, I guess, 26, 27 at some point. Like this was always an option for him. And so it, it really resonated with me as self-validating is like, yeah, if I was stuck, stayed in this job, that's me in you know the next thirty years of my life thinking to mm. myself, man, I really wish I would have mm. quit this job when I was twenty seven and traveled the world and tried to figure it out. And yeah. I'll be honest, dude, the last ten months of my life have been easily the most rewarding, energetic, and magical, miracle based. Mm. I I can't even put it into words how amazing it's been. Yeah. I. It's, um, that's beautiful, man. I think, um, I think it's really cool to see too, right? Like, <clears throat> you know, similar, I, I have a similar experience where I'm like, um, you know, I, I make this joke where the last job that I worked at, I say, yeah, I, I quit the best job I ever had. Um, and like, I don't think I could really get another one because like I, there wasn't a job better, right? Like I was working at a startup, I was being paid well, I was leading an entire team, I had a ton of autonomy, I got to set the vision for where the company was going. I had literally everything that somebody could ask for. Like I had a team of five people working under me, like literally I was <laughs> at at 24 years old, you know, I was doing everything that um that everybody looks at and is like holy shit, like if I could get to that, that would be insane. Um, right. It's like, you're basically being an entrepreneur without having the like stress and pressure of being an entrepreneur. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it's like you, you will feel in your soul when something feels good and doesn't. Right. And like, for me, I looked at this job and I was like, yeah, I could stay here and I could probably be fine. And you know, if the company did poorly, I could land on my feet at a different startup. If the company succeeded, I had equity, I would have been great. You know, I would have had a nice payoff. And, um, I think it's just about like, what, what do you value in your life? Right? Like, do you value security over growth over contribution to the planet? And like, for me, I was like, no, I, I really don't like as much as like, I, I love what I'm, what I was doing and who I was working with and, and you know, what we were striving for. I was like, no, there's like, there is more out there. Like I, I have more to contribute to the world and more to learn. And if I'm stuck running this team that like I've already mastered the craft of I'm just going to be stuck running this team and like you know when I think when you start to look at your life and start to zoom out and say like you don't got a lot of time like you know uh, you know do the math an average 70 years like sounds like oh that's a lot of time that's like 4,000 weeks that's it 
That's like all you got, you know, it's like, Nothing. like when you start to quantify it into like terms like that, you're like, holy shit, I only have like 4,000 is not that big of a number. Like 4,000 is the number that's on my paycheck. You know, like, it's like you start to look at them side right. by side and you're like, all right, I could stay here and my life will fly by and I will look up in a few years and I will be like, I am 50. I have nothing really to show for it other than this job. Um, and like that might be fine for some people, right? Some people might be like, look, I value having a family more than anything in the world. So all I want is a stable job that keeps me paid and great do that. But if there, if you are the type of person that's like, there is a world out there for me and I need to go find it, go find it. Right. Like I think we all fear and like all want, right. One of the biggest things that eggs me on, on TikTok or on social media these days are the people that are like trying every single side hustle to make you money so that you don't have to. And like, you know, it's like all advice on like, Hey, start doing fulfillment for Amazon. Start, you know, going, go to Dick's Sporting Goods and look up the price of a product and then resell it on Amazon. And it's like, great. Like, sure. You might be able to make money doing that. But I think what people forget is like making money takes work. Like there is not ever going to be some form of side hustle that just makes you rich so that you can go do what you want. So if you have a dream, that needs to be your side hustle, right? Like, Work your job, save the money, do what you need to do in order to work your dream. But don't expect that like, you know, a quick side hustle is what's going to like get you there. Because when you're not passionate about something, it's so hard to find the time, right? If you work an eight hour day and then you have to go run two hours of a side hustle, like, of course, it's not going to stick. Like, it's going to be tough, right? Like, you have no motivation. You have no drive. Um, you That's know, I learned this. Happens. Exactly, man. Like, I'm like, I've learned this from like, you know, just athletic events. Conscious Monkeys, I need to bring your attention to this company that I've been using over the past few months and probably longer now if you're hearing this, that has absolutely changed the way that I'm actually interfacing with the world. It's a company by the name of Conscious Technologies. And what they do is actually create these harmonizing units. And what it does is it actually takes the rotation of EMF frequencies that are in your area and harmonizes them. They make them in line with the true natural frequency of the universe around you. And they're incredible products. I actually went and I've tested out their quantum flow unit. I've tested out their meditation bed, their core harmonizer. And quite frankly, they were so incredible that I actually bought the cell phone EMF harmonizer for my cell phone. I was also lucky enough that Ross threw in a necklace as well. So I've been wearing that thing. And quite frankly, I'm even wearing it to bed and my dreams have become so vivid and just intense that it's pretty insane. I honestly feel so grateful to have it. Their mission is to bring forth technologies that support the harmony of mankind and the world at large. Go check out their stuff. I mean, looking's for free. And if I'm being honest, if you click the link below and make a purchase, I do get some kickback. But quite frankly, I wouldn't be promoting it if it didn't work. So with that being said, go check them out. Conscious Technologies, LLC. Link below. Now let's get back to the interview. Right? Like I, I've in the last few years, I've become an ultra marathoner. And like I've realized that like when I start a long distance event, if my mind is on anything other than like ruthlessly dedicated to finishing this event, I'm not going to do it because like I need, I need a why, you know what I mean? And I think a lot of people spend their lives searching for this life that they believe is what they want. And the why doesn't really come into play, right? You look at somebody's life and you're like, wow, look at that house that they got. Or wow, look at that fancy trip that they took, man. Like, that's what I want. And it's like, great. What you're saying is you want money. 
So now go find a job that's going to get you the most possible money. But what happens is like people do that, you know, they're not really clear on what they want. What they really want, you know, is perhaps freedom. What they really want is a job that they actually love that also makes them money. And this stuff is a lot harder to search for. So you end up floundering around, taking a few side hustles, taking a few jobs that you don't really like, all in pursuit of something that isn't actually what you're looking for. And it's really tough, right? Because like you try to look at somebody that that is is struggling and you're like, look, money isn't the answer. And it's like money is the answer when when you're when you, you know, you need to get to a base level. But then if you simultaneously take a step back and look at all of the very wealthy people, most of them are unhappy. Most of them are unhealthy. Most of them are assholes. And most of them like aren't necessarily like enjoying where they got to in their lives. Right. I think um, it's like a fascinating place. If you ever, you know, anybody listening just does like a little bit of poking around of research at like, you know, the articles listening and, and reading about the wealthiest people in the world, like. A lot of them now are getting life coaches and now are getting, you know, meditation teachers and now are doing all of the things that like you can do today for free and like you will be so much happier and like your journey to success will be something that like you actually enjoy, not like, you know, I just need to get to that freaking goal because once you get to that goal, there will always be another goal and you will always be unsatisfied. So I feel like there's a lot in there. I'm not really sure. Like I, you know, I kind of <laughs> went off on a tangent a little bit, but um, that happens, <laughs> you know, I think. I think all in all, my, my point is that like, you know, people need to become clear on like, why do they want to do something? And then it's like, you can, you know, kind of structure your life to get you that, um, in whatever way you need to, right? Like I didn't, I didn't leave my job until I was certain that like I had a little bit of time and I had a little bit of, you know, uh, cash to kind of keep me afloat and, you know, now have kind of built out a way to, um, have a side hustle for my main hustle, which is like the stuff that like I actually care about. Right. And now it's like, I'm not trying to make money to go do the main stuff. I'm doing the main stuff and now I'm just making money on the side. And I think that is like the important distinction that like people often lose. Um, so. Right. And I can totally agree with and resonate with the whole why concept, because mm. I know whenever I was trying to start creating side hustles whenever I was still at my job. My why was to quit my job. And it was really fascinating because none of the side hustles were sticking. You know, once I finally, this was probably like a year or two after actually trying like probably three or four different side hustles, I had saved it up enough money to just have the money. And I just found this trust in the universe that everything was going to work out because it kind of already had. Right. And so saved up enough money. And I realized like, a big reason my why was, was to quit my job. Like I, my why for starting these side hustles was to quit my job. <laughs> well, when you break that down, you don't, I mean, you know, if, if you're looking for a why to quit, like you can kind of just quit. And I know that sounds kind of yeah. scary and maybe a little bit naive, but there really is no, I mean, at the end of the day, I get the importance of money. I'm not, I'm not trying to devalue it, but my point is, is that you can, you can basically quit without a plan and not need the side hustle in order to quit. And I'm not saying that that's a valid approach for everybody because <laughs> that takes a yeah. level of uh, trust, let's say, in the universe. And I did have money saved up. So, you know, again, and I had a little bit of a plan, but um, yeah, I guess I'm kind of going down a tangent and I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I want to go that direction. Um, let's bring it back to maybe whenever you figured out that you were, you were ready to shift out of this job away from it. You were like, mm. I'm building up this stuff. 
what was like was there like a moment or a click that happened with you when you realized like oh i kind of did it or oh i made it happen or oh i'm ready to quit or like i, I assume there was two clicks one of them would have been yeah. i need to get out of here and the other one would have been it's time to get out of here do you remember when those happened and how did you know when it was time to pull the trigger on those <clears throat> yeah i mean um great great questions i think um <laughs> it's actually it's actually pretty uh hilarious of a story um so i i don't know if you're familiar with um spartan race you know the kind of like obstacle course uh running yeah, race it, that like exists uh tell everyone in case they have so it. yeah yeah you know there there are several of these spartan races tough mutters mud run whatever it is it's basically you know some form of like running distance mixed in with like various like american ninja warrior style obstacles right, right? it's like you're running a couple miles and then you like jump over a wall and you know you're you know run a couple more miles and swing from like some monkey bar looking things and like you know um the founder uh is awesome his name's joe DeSena. he basically um you know wanted to help people get in shape and wanted to create an experience that like allowed anybody to actually like have fun running an event, right? Like his philosophy was like, if you put it a date on the calendar, like you'll get in shape, right? If there's a race coming up, you're going to train for it. Cause like, you don't want to not make it happen. So, you know, that's why they created it. Um, before he created Spartan race, he created this thing called the death race, which was basically, he was, you know, an insane Ironman athlete and doing like all of these crazy feats of endurance. Um, you know, I guess like just some that are like wild are like, you know, hundred mile races through the mountains of Vermont, um, seven day, like ice canoe races, uh, you know, in Alaska uh, or British Columbia or one of these places. And, you know, I think one of the coolest races on the planet, um, Badwater, which is basically 135 miles through the desert, uh, all the way from the lowest point in the contiguous U S to the highest point of Mount Whitney, um, in the hottest month of the summer. So literally the hardest foot race, like on the planet. Um, and he basically was like, no matter what, you know, what's coming, right? Like you, you know, that if you're going to do an Ironman, it's, it's you swim a certain distance, bike a certain distance, run a certain distance. So like in your mind, you can prepare yourself for that experience. He wanted to basically create an event where you could not prepare yourself for what was coming. So the death race, you know, the first one only had like eight people in it. And it was like the most insane Damn. thing of all time. They showed up, you know, he has this farm in Vermont. They showed up and, you know, you show up the night before and you don't know when it's going to start. Like all of a sudden it just starts. So like, <laughs> you know, like there are all of these mind fucks that go on and it's like, it's not running necessarily. Like it is a whole bunch of things. It's basically who can last the longest mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So like, you know, some years he'll have you bring a bag of onions because they're going to put you in a tight room and make you cut onions until like, you know, somebody taps out. Um, so like, it's not just <laughs> what are your feats of physical strength? It's like, how can, how, how much can you endure and how much can Mental. you keep going? Um, so it's pretty cool. I mean, if you've never looked at it, there's some cool like videos of it online. Like it's worth checking out. But basically, um, the job that I was working at before I quit hosted a podcast and they had Joe on the podcast, the founder of Spartan Race. Um, and I've been a fan of his for a while. I, you know, I, I listened to a few other podcasts with him and I heard that like he occasionally invites people up to his farm. And I was like, that would be really fun. Um, so, you know, we're backstage on the podcast, the founders of the company I was working for knew I was a big fan. So they invited me backstage. Um, 
you know, it's like kind of this setup. So it's virtual. So it's not like, you know, we're virtually backstage. We're not, you know, kind of like okay. in person. And of course, you know, kind of like uh, being a guy who runs like, you know, multiple companies that has multiple events going on. Joe's a little bit late. And, uh, you know, we're trying to get the show on the road. And I've got probably about like five seconds to say something to him. And I basically say like, Joe, like huge fan of yours. Epic to meet you. I know we don't have time to talk right now. Maybe I can come up to the farm and we can hang out then. And, uh, you know, he looks at me and he's like, yeah, absolutely. The death race is on Monday. Why don't you come up for that? And, you know, I know what the death race is at this point. So this is like Tuesday and like that following Monday. So six days from now is the death race. And of course, I'm not going to take like, I'm not going to, you know, miss out on my opportunity. So I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. Um, say yes. And basically, the <laughs> my my week starts to unfold of like, I go from, all right, you know, I'm working next week to, okay, I need the entire week off because the, the race can go for four days. Um, I am booking a hotel room at the Clearwater Inn in Pittsfield, Vermont, which is like literally the only like hotel in Pittsfield, Vermont, which has a population of like, you know, 500 people. Um, and, um, you know, on f the Friday before I have to drive up on Sunday, I get this gear list, um, which is about a full, you know, eight by an eight by 11 page long. And I basically need to bring like an entire, Jeez. you know, rucking backpack with like a, 20 pound axe and you know like <laughs> i wish i could even like i wish i could show people like i have footage from like what i had to bring um literally one of the items was like three ounces of ground up toenails and it's like not something that you can actually get i think they just like the whole point of the race is they want to fuck with you before you even get up there right. um, so basically i was like all right i'm going up to so, this race i'm meeting joe you know i had this dream at the time of like how cool would it be if i could like live with all of the people that I idolize and like learn from them. Right. And like, I think like that was my vision. So I was like, I'm going to go up, I'm going to meet Joe. We're going to hit it off. You know, he also framed it to me as like, come up, like, you know, we'll film some content around the death race. Like it didn't make it seem like I necessarily needed to compete. Um, and yeah, I basically show up at 6am, um, at the farm right away. We're getting yelled at right away. It's all right. Line up by the order of the cubed root on your license plate. And it's like, it's 6am. I don't know how to do cubed root math at this hour. <laughs> um, and I got an 80 pound backpack on my back. All I do is run. So like I, I'm a runner. I run every day. I don't literally do anything else at the moment. So like I, I had not done any strength training and I don't know how long. And I now have this 80 pound backpack on my back. And I basically make it through about 16 hours of a 72 hour endurance race where we're doing everything from like hiking up mountains to uh, upside down crawling over like rivers. And um, it's it's insane. Like I like I literally have never felt so like cramped up and like effed up. And, um, you know, um, <laughs> it was like in it felt inhuman Broken. and it was the most insane experience ever. I didn't even get to meet Joe. Like I didn't even get to meet. He wasn't even there. So like, I'm literally like, I go through this whole thing. I expect it to be like an easy, like I get a little bit of a separate, you know, experience and I'm going through literal hell. And then I finally tap out and it's like, you know, 9 PM and I make it back to the farm, you know, we're like off somewhere in Vermont hiking. I make it back to the farm and he's there. <laughs> I'm like, the first thing I say is like, Hey Joe. And he like, does not know who I am. And I'm like, great. Like I'm the guy that you, you know, <laughs> talked to six days ago and told to come. And here I am. And he's like, Oh you can't quit. Get back out there. Um, <laughs> lo and behold, you know, we, we ended up kind of talking a bit and I asked if I could come back up to the farm and I ended up coming up, going back to the farm about a month later 
to help him put on like some kids wrestling camp. Um, and this is like to answer your question, you know, not to just take you on like a complete roundabout story, but, um, I took another week off from work and I went up to the farm and I was basically a glorified camp counselor for a week. You know, he had about 20 kids, um, ages, you know, kind of eight to 16 at the farm, all, you know, kind of going through this wrestling camp where they would do, uh, they wake up at five, they do like wilderness training survival. They do like, uh, insane workouts and then wrestle, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, I had no cell phone service. I had no access to do any work. I'm literally sleeping in a sleeping bag on a futon in a house that's like 90 degrees. And it was like the greatest week of my life. And I think like realizing that like Damn. I had so much more fun just waking up at 5 a.m., working out with these kids, talking and like hanging out and just like being present in the moment that I was like, I, I need to get out of my job. Like I need to leave immediately. Um, you know, and I think like there was a moment uh, there where I was just like, holy crap. Like if, if this is enjoyable with all of the shit that it is, you know, I'm literally in the middle of nowhere. I'm barely sleeping. I'm working out a ton. It's hot as hell. And I loved it. It was just a sign to me that like I was in the wrong spot. Um, and then your, you know, second part of the question, I got lucky that the, the week after that, my boss kind of looked at me and was like, Hey man, you don't seem super happy. And, uh, I think that just kind of opened the door, um, for us to kind of have a real conversation and me to be like, look, man, like, I love you guys. I love this. You know, I think in my head, I probably would have stuck it out like another month or two just cause, but you know, because he gave me the opening, I think it allowed me to really just be honest and, um, you know, we're still really good friends. I love them. Um, and, um, yeah, it just, say, it just what a great time. boss. What a great boss to realize that, that He's awareness. Awesome. You know, it's yeah. they're young too, right? Like they're they were my age. They're running a pretty cool company. You know, it's like a new way of doing things, right? Like most bosses don't give a fuck, you know, because they've been through their own shit, similar to your story where you know the dude's 50 and he's like, I wish I could do that. Like most people are in that mindset. So it's hard for them to be like, you know, they kind of look at they're like, I'm paying them, I'm giving them good time off. They have good benefits, they should be happy. Um, right. So it's like looking I think it's at just a human keyhole. thing, though, right? Right. Exactly. And I, um, go ahead. I thought something that was pretty interesting about your story was, and this is something you kind of like hear mirrored, right? Is like, you know, you can really, it's amazing because you come from like this, this position that would be very glorified in society with, you know, running a team at the age of 24, great startup, yada, yada, yada. Yet you were finding more enjoyment in life, sleeping on a cot, freezing your ass off, <laughs> waking up at 5 a.m. And it's like, yeah. It's like you got to find that thing where you're enjoying doing things that the average person would hate to do or think would be terrible or would be going against that counterculture of society. Mm, absolutely, man. I think like I think we all try to like avoid pain and discomfort. Um and I think that like in my mind that any time that you can willingly put yourself in pain and discomfort like life is found there, right? Like something as simple as like, take a cold shower. Like it is, it, it takes your breath away. It is crazy. You feel something immediately. The second you step out of that, like it's going to be miserable. You're going to hate it, but there's going to be a switch in your body that changes, right? Like we are, we are creatures that like love an underdog story. So anytime you overcome something, there's magic in that. And I think, um, I, I firmly believe that like, 
overcoming discomfort is actually like something that we all really enjoy. We've just all got really accustomed to liking comfort that, uh, you know, who wants to really go through that? But I think, you know, that experience also showed me, I was kind of like, look, if I can be really uncomfortable and really love it, then like, why am I hanging on to the security of this job when I know, you know, I want to do something else? Like, I, I also will say, like, I'm not a proponent of everybody quitting their jobs. You know, I think a lot of people can work a job and like start to build out, you know, the the uh, solo mission or the content engine or whatever, you know, kind of startup they've ideated in their head. For me, when I'm working on something, I'm all in like you get, you know, not just my nine to five, you get 12 hours of my waking life of me dedicating everything I have to whatever I'm doing. It's just how I'm wired. So, you know, I had all these items on my to-do list of work on my own stuff, come up with the, you know, keep working on like my startup ideas. And I just wouldn't do it because like anytime, you know, a free hour popped up, I was like, all right, well, there's more work to do for my job. So I would just dedicate it to that. So that's for me, another reason why, you know, I needed to leave because I knew that if I stayed, I was going to get trapped. And, um, I don't want, you know, my tombstone to read, you know, he lived a great life, although he was trapped. (laughs) Well, then ironically, it wouldn't have been great, right? Exactly. It'd be like like Um, society, colon, great life, me, colon, terrible life. Yeah. And what's interesting. um, Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, I I had a mentor who used to say to me, um, he's like, if you get really sick or something happens to you, who's going to show up like, you know, by your hospital bed? Is your job going to show up? Is the money you made going to show up? Like maybe to, you know, pay for the medical bills. But um, what's really going to show up is the people in your life that care about you. Um, and I think, you know, I always try to keep that in mind, no matter what I'm working on that, like at some point too, you need to distance yourself from it, right? Like if you, this is really morbid to say, but if you died tomorrow, your job will replace you in two weeks. You know, like, yes, like there will be, it will be sad. It will be crazy. It will be all of the hot water cooler topic for two weeks. And then you will be replaced and you will, you know, the world will move on and you will be forgotten. And like, it's really fucked up to say, but like, that's kind of the experience, right? Like people die every day. And like, that's part of like our life. It's the only guarantee that like we have in this world is one day we will die. You don't know when it will be, but it will happen. And I think like recognizing that frees you up to kind of be like, I'm really not that important to my job. Like, right. Like, yes, like I do a lot and yes, like I'm probably important in their eyes, but like what's more important is how do I feel here? How do I feel here? And what am I doing to like grow as a human and contribute to the world? Right. Like, yeah. And, and I I think think the next level, that's important. Oh, absolutely. And I think the next level to that is kind of how we were talking about society earlier to touch on this. Like everyone dies at a certain time. It's like, well, you know, you're going to die at a certain time. And all of society is going to die at a certain time. So why are you doing something to police society when their life is just as fragile as yours? So, you know, who's who do you really want to satisfy more? Do you want to satisfy the greater society that, you know, within 200 years, less than that, probably, but within 200 years, there's going to be brand new people on Earth who aren't going to remember me. I mean, unless you do something really crazy and exotic, but you're not going to do it at that job that everyone else is also doing. It's like that whole idea of if you really want to set this tone and, you know, you're talking about the underdog story and, you know, I think there's a level of ego that a lot of us want to be remembered throughout history. And maybe that's a a masculine quality, but, and maybe that's just me projecting as well. (laughs) Mm. But at the end of the Mm. day, 
if I, like you said, die tomorrow, you know, maybe some people are going to remember me, but at some point in time, all the people that I've ever known are going to die as well. So why am I doing something to please other people who are also going to eventually die if it's hurting me while I'm here? Mm. Mm. I, um, I don't know if this is like an original quote by me or something that I heard, you know, said once or now is like adopted as like part of my life philosophy. But, um, you know, the, no matter what you do, like the people that are going to remember you 50 years from now are probably going to be, you know, just your family. Like, yes, like you might be remembered by somebody else. Right. But, um, I like take a bigger look and be like, all right, I know things were different a thousand years from now. But like the amount of people, you know, from a thousand years from now, based off history books and based off the stuff we've learned is probably like, you know, you can count it on your hands, right? Like it's, it's probably a little more than that, but like, unless you were a king, unless you were like a molder of history, unless you literally changed the entire paradigm of society, a thousand years from now, you'll be nobody. Like, it doesn't matter how many TikTok followers you have. It doesn't matter, um, you know, how many likes you got on that Instagram photo. It does not matter how much money is in your bank account. You end up, you know in the ground, cremated, you know, as we talked about, whatever belief people want to say, you know, for how to care for the dead, you end up not in this human form. Um, and like, I look at it and like, I mean, you know, I think part of my earliest memories of like, as a kid was like recognizing this for some reason, I have no idea why I haven't had, you know, knock on wood, I haven't had, you know, any like deaths, like in my immediate family, but I remember being 10 years old. And all of a sudden, my brain just starts spinning. And it's like, Oh, my gosh, like, I don't remember what happened before I was born. I, I don't know if I've learned anything about what happens when you die. What happens, you know, and your brain goes to like a really dark place of like, what if what if it just all ends? Like, what if there's nothing? And then like what, you know, world keeps moving and you don't exist. And I think like, you know, from that moment until I found um, like Buddhism and meditation, that was the scariest like concept for me. Um, and anytime it would like pop into my head, like I'd have to try to like think about pleasant thoughts because like it is a scary place to be. And then, you know, all of a sudden here was this, you know, way of life, religion, whatever you want to call it, belief system that kind of said like, look. Conscious Monkeys, are you looking for a CBD cream that actually works? I've tried many different CBD products and I've really never truly felt like any of them have worked for me. Like maybe there'd be like a little bit of tingling and then it would fade pretty quickly. Then came along Revive CBD. From the first time I tried it on, I could tell that there was something different about this product. I noticed that any joint pain I had was gone within minutes of applying it. And it lasted for a significant duration. I don't have an exact time for you guys, but do your own test. <laughs> so if you're still looking for the right CBD cream, then this might be the right one for you. Because if you resonate with my vibe, then maybe you'll resonate with this vibe. I actually kind of just made that up on the spot. So hopefully you liked it. <laughs> Check out the link below. And as a side note, like always, the link below is an affiliate link. But again, I would not be promoting them if it didn't work for me. So hopefully it'll work for you. Again, check it out below, myrevive.com. Get yours today. And with that being said, Conscious Monkeys, let's get back to the interview. Each, each birth is an opportunity to, you know, kind of become your best self. And even if you want to believe in enlightenment, you don't want to believe in enlightenment, you want to believe in cyclical rebirth and nirvana and samsara and whatever, um, it, it gave me this slant to kind of say like, all I have is this birth. 
and like let me do as much as i can with it like yes i know i technically have another one um but like let me do as much as i can with this moment and with this opportunity i have and i think from there i was like i i cannot waste even a second um so um yeah, yeah man. i mean i think it's i think it's a tough spot to be in like you know it's the human life is amazing um it's a death sentence i mean at the very same time you know what i mean so i think like you know you don't know how long you got and uh i'm a fan yeah. of like how can you make the most out of each day and i you know i, I go ahead and then I, I got i got a good quote too for you after that well go for it now let's hear it now maybe it'll set um <laughs> i uh I'm a big fan of Jesse Itzler too, who I'm not sure if you know who that is, but he's a pretty cool dude. Um, he, he's just worth some looking up, but he, he basically says, you know, in everything, in every day, he tries to live five days. Um, you know, where it's like you make the most of each day, you do as much as you possibly can, you know, you don't waste any second of it because if you live five days for every day, you end up basically living five lives in one. So, um, you know, I think looking at it like that, I'm like, you know, I'll give you like a concrete example of how do you do that? Um, you know, I got home yesterday after a long day of work. I, you know, I'd done everything I needed to do that day. I worked out. I, you know, um, had all the items checked off my to-do list and I was like, huh, I mean, I could just kind of sit here and watch TV or I could grab my bike and go out for a bike ride. And like, you know, I think like those decisions of like what it's going to be more of like a memory for you. Is it going to be that like TV show, you know, that scrolling on Instagram, or is it going to be like going and doing something in your life? Um, and I think that like that is how I try to approach each day. So I feel like there's certainly a lot of power in that ideology. And I think there's a lot of utility in that, you know, what's going to remind me, what am I going to remember? You know, if it's kind of the, and the stoic principle of memento mori, you know, contemplate or think about your death, Mm. which feels like a topic we keep bringing up here. And where am I trying to go with this? I feel like that there's a, and I'm curious how you kind of balance this given this idea of almost go, go, go and correct me if I'm kind of putting words in your mouth, but it feels mm. like you're kind of advocating a little bit for the, uh, what's it, what would it be like the hustle culture almost. And this is something where I've kind of been trying to play around with this. And cause hustle culture to me, um, it's so wild as I'm thinking about this because hustle culture to me kind of comes across as the, almost the toxic masculine of where you need to keep doing, there is no Mm. stop. There's always going. And, but I do see that there's value in it because if I get a long day of work in on the podcast and I work out and I do all these things, I do feel good afterwards. But where do you find this balance of rest coming in? Or is it just always pushing your body to the next limit? You know, where, Cause I feel like at the end of the day, it's about balance, but yeah, I know that the idea of muscle <laughs> culture is very prevalent in our society today. Yeah. I, I love this question. Um, cause I think, you know, I look at myself as somebody that is relentless, you know, like I put a goal on a piece of paper and I am relentless to get there. Like I'm, I am, um, you know, you will, I don't know why this is coming to mind, but back when I used to like work out in college, I used to listen to a lot of like, 
old Meek Mill and uh, <laughs> on one of his Meek original Mill. Dream Chasers albums. He's like, there's one line where he's like, check them hours I spent on that Twitter. I don't, I don't sleep. I'm up all night on that Twitter. And I was like, you know, sometimes that's my life, right? Like sometimes I am, um, I am grinding nonstop. Um, and I think I look at it and I say like, life to me is is a balance not not each individual day per se right there are going to be some moments in my life where i have more energy surplus where i have more drive to go 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 where i feel like i need more and i want to do more and then there will also be times in my life where i feel depleted and i need to like reserve myself and spend some more time just kind of stepping back um and i think right like everybody wants to preach this like work-life balance and like, you know, finding the balance between like doing the things that you like in life. And, um, I look at it and I say like, sometimes I need quiet, peace, nothing. And other times I just need to go, go, go. And like, I don't even look at it as hustle culture. Cause I'm like, I love doing it all. Right. So like the second that like something no longer becomes enjoyable for me, I take a I take a break from it. Right. Like my biggest, um, you know, kind of time spent right now is on creating content and like I'm obsessed with it and I love it. But there are also times where I absolutely despise it. And what I do is I take a few days off and I don't do it. You know, I spend time working on my book, thinking about anything else so that when I come back to it, it's actually enjoyable. And I think, right, like in my mind, there's a difference between like, how much can you get out of the day? And how much do you have to like, use your willpower to make your body do something right? Because like, no matter how strong you are as a human willpower only goes so far. And you know, I think the key in my mind to anything, you know, whether you want to work out whether you want to run a company is like, you need to find a way where it just becomes part of who you are, and you actually enjoy it. Right. Like, and I think working out is the coolest example to take from this because it, it is one of those things that is kind of glorified by our society and everybody feels like they have to force themselves to do it. And there is no right workout. Like, I, I think that that in my mind is like such a clear distinction that people need to make. Like the best workout is not like, you know, I get on the treadmill and like whatever's hot right now, like it's the 12, 3, 30 or whatever the crap is where it's like you walk for a certain amount of time in a certain incline and you run for a certain amount of time, blah, 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 blah. It's kind of like the best workout is the one that you can do consistently over and over and over again, because like, let's be real. If you're working out and you're trying to like lose weight, like what you're doing is you're trying to overcome years of negligence and like, you know, avoidance of a healthy lifestyle. So expecting it to be done in two weeks is insane. Like you have to actually put the work in. So you know, all of this is to say that for me, I don't ever feel like I'm part of the hustle culture because like, I love everything I do, right? Like, like being able to come back last night and like at 530, grab my bike, drive to the beach and like bike along the beach. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, I had a grueling headwind half of the time. So it was pretty brutal. But like, you know, I leave that and I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I feel freaking great. And then I, you know, made dinner, got back to work for three hours and went to sleep at midnight, woke up at seven. And, you know, I feel rested. I feel good. Um, and I think that's the the key, right? Is like knowing what you need in order to fill yourself up, allowing yourself to do the things that like you actually enjoy. And then also knowing like when you actually need a break and being able to like give yourself that and program that into your life. Um, 
And, um, you know, last thing I'll say, and I do this every week is every Saturday I is a removal from everything. Um, so Saturday, there's no technology in my life. I don't have my phone. I'm not really allowed to like, you know, go watch TV or do anything with technology because it basically gives me a step back from everything and allows me to kind of like just be in tune with myself. Um, and I find that like when I started doing that, you know, my burnout rate, like just disappeared because now it's like I, you know, even on the weekends, when we have weekends, we don't rest, right? Like, you know, this from like, you know, your days of partying, right? Most people, as I know, from my days of partying, will go out Friday night, get super drunk, you know, blow off steam from the week, wake up at 3pm the next day, you can't really do much, you know, because you're pretty hungover. So you're not working out, you're not taking care of your body, you're recovering until about 6pm when you start drinking again. And then all of a sudden it's Sunday and you're stressed and you're freaking out. And like, then you have to start the week with that mentality, right? Like the weekend is supposed to be a time to rest and recoup and like be with yourself because like you're amazing and you deserve to like feel good. But, you know, we take it as an opportunity to like tune, tune everything out. And like we can talk and dive into, you know, the drinking side of things and where my beliefs stand on that. But I think like, you know, if, if more people just even took, Saturday mornings, right? You don't have to do the whole day, like 8am to 1pm, no phone, no technology, go for a walk, journal, sit, read a book, do something that like allows your body to stop being overstimulated and stop being in the go, go, go mode. And like, you will feel like you're no longer hustling all the time. Yeah, I think that's, I think there's a lot of truth in that where you know, it's that it's that feeling of if you're feeling like you're forcing yourself to do something just because you need to do it versus mm. like you're saying, it's like, well, if I enjoy doing it, I'm going to just keep doing it. Like, why? Yeah. Why force yourself to stop doing something you love? But maybe that's where the nine to five. And this is probably just my own personal, let's say, programming where I ha I was in whether it be school or a job that you don't want to do. And it's like, well, you just got to do it because it's what you have to do in order to get past it or to move on to the next step. And so when you take that mindset and you apply it to your side hustle, that's when you probably experience that burnout is this idea of, mm. well, it's an eight hour day. You have to put in eight hours every day into this thing else or else it's not going to happen. And yeah, you know, there's another level to that where it's like, well, how do you define putting in time to it? Like this podcast, for instance, you know, is it, is it recording a podcast? Is it making content to put on you like on Instagram or YouTube or TikTok? And it's like, well, another portion of that is actually me reading books, listening to other people on YouTube, trying to expand my mm. awareness around spirituality or consciousness or meditation so that I can take that content and deliver it to my audience as well, or looking for new people to come on the podcast, finding you, you know, it's yeah. these yeah. different things. And then even, even the next level of that interesting enough is this element of rest. It's like, well, if you just push through all these things and burn yourself out, what good is that to the audience? If you show up to this podcast and yeah. you're in a daze and you're out of it and you're tired and you don't want to be here and you don't want to talk to Andrew, then everyone's going to be able to hear that. Andrew's going to hear mm. that. Andrew, you're going to feel that. And you're going to be like, what the hell is Clayton doing? He doesn't care to be here. Why am I here? You know, and it, mm. 
would then have this ripple effect around the audience around the podcast then it's like okay well why am i listening to this if the host doesn't even want to be there and so ironically enough i'm almost talking myself into seeing this element of rest as being helpful in the continuation of like letting things digest and i could even have seen this with jujitsu and maybe you've seen this with running where you know some days you go harder and some days you pull back because you need to let your body recover or you need to get a new perspective on the workout or the the workout or the sport i suppose or take some time yeah. to actually just watch people run to see how you're able to do it differently and let your body it's like it's like it's a part of the process almost it's like you know it's interesting because i'll leave it on this where you know it's <laughs> i know elon musk has said before where he says that he works 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And to me, I'm like, that has to be bullshit because it, even if you're only sleeping six hours, that only leaves you two hours to eat and rest. But then I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, technically aren't we all working 24 seven on whatever we're doing? Because if I <laughs> don't sleep <laughs> then, and maybe I'm playing a word game here, but if I don't sleep, then technically, you know, this is all going to get yeah. shit. A- absolutely. Um, yeah, I I think um I think finding that balance too in just the like um feeling productive and like feeling the like wanting to feel productive, right? Like I think that to me is like one of the biggest traps of our society with like to-do lists is like you can put a bunch of shit on there, you can start crossing stuff off, but are you being like truly productive or are you just doing a lot of things? And um you know, I think the way that like I've structured my life now and like this is, you know, my, my number one productivity tip for anybody is like. Conscious monkeys, if you're looking to start your own podcast, I have the two tools that you need to use to get that show on the road. And the names are Buzzsprout and Riverside. I'm combining these into one ad because, you know, I've honestly had nothing but the best for them. But if you're going to be using one of them, you might be using the other one. So what Buzzsprout is, is essentially the platform that I use to put my podcast out there. It's the reason you can hear this. That's the reason that I appear on all these different directories. The thing you might also need is that if you're interviewing people, you're going to need Riverside as well. And quite frankly, I'm using it right now to even just record these podcasts because they will even dilate in, dilate in. I don't think that's the right phrase for it. They will harmonize your voice so that it sounds equivalent. So if I start talking quiet at one point, they have a built-in editor that will actually make your voice sound crisp. I highly suggest Buzzsprout and Riverside. Go check out the links below in the description. And like always, these are affiliate links. So I do get a minor kickback if you do sign up with them. However, like always, they are incredible. The support has been on point and they always get back to me. So I highly recommend them if you have any questions that are there to help. So with that being said, go check it out in the link below and let's get back to the interview. Write as many to-do lists as you want. Fine. Like do it all, you know, put everything on the to-do list, like put sleep, put workout, put whatever you want on your to-do list, but then have a second to-do list that is literally the five things that you need to do today in order for today to be good. And those are the things that you need to start with, right? Like I think a lot of people want to come in and be like, go through my inbox, you know, if you're working a job and it's like, yeah, you great. Go through your inbox is not a hard task, right? Like it doesn't take a lot of like mind work to like clear out emails and like reply to a few emails, like do the top five things, do them right away 
and then start to check off the rest of the stuff, right? And what happens is, in my mind, I think you're right. We're working 24-7. Like, even for me, I'm like, if I'm working out, I am still working, right? Like, I'm still pushing my body to, like, help me build the best life and, like, most enjoyable experience for myself. So, like, in my mind, the only times that, like, I'm truly resting are on Saturdays when, like, I have nothing. And, like, I still work out. You know, actually, Saturdays are, like, my longest run days. But... I don't have anything else that gets in my way. Um, and, you know, I think when I look at like all of these different productivity hacks, I say just what are the most important things that you need to get done today and do them first. And then everything else will feel easier. You know, even if like it ends up being one thing, if you're like, look, I have one thing I need to get done today. That is it. If you do that one thing, you'll feel productive. If you do a hundred other little things, like you might feel productive, but there'll be this underlying feeling of Ugh, in the back of your brain because like you didn't do the one thing you needed to do. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, we're all working nonstop, but, um, I think when you start to fall in love with that idea of like, oh, I'm working all the time. That's cool. Like, I'm, I'm hustling. Um, that's when stuff starts to get dangerous because then you're trying to convince yourself you're doing a lot when you're not necessarily doing a lot. Um, Interesting. and that to me is like an important distinction and something that I have fallen prey to like time and time again, because like how easy would it be if like one of your to do this items is like make the bed in the morning and then you get to just cross that off because like, is that really that hard? Um, for some people, maybe, you know, for me, it's like I do it every day. So like, no longer am I allowed to put that on my to do list because like, it's just part of my life. Like I just do it. Um, and I think the more that people can transition to like what is important and what needs to get done, how can I be productive and like not just like efficient, um, I think is like a very key distinction. Yeah. And I guess an element of that is trying to figure out where like taking inventory of what you're doing almost to see if it is contributing to your overall mm. picture, right? If you're actually moving that needle to where you want to be versus where you had been, if you're actually contributing something, let me think here, Like you need to, you know, if there's certain things that you're doing or putting effort into, but you're not seeing like a result out of it, you need to be able to take inventory of that to be able to come back and say, okay, you know, I've been mm -hmm. putting effort into maybe it's writing blogs, but you're noticing that your blog pages aren't getting any views. So the question then becomes, yeah. are, do you need to restructure that blog or do you actually need to stop doing it because it's a waste? Well, waste is probably the wrong word, but it's not contributing to the big picture. Your time could be better spent mm. on something else to contribute to that bigger picture than what you're contributing to it now. Yeah. I, you know, I, I am, I am a firm believer and, and maybe this is just like how my mother raised me of like, I can do anything I put my mind to. Um, you know, I just think in my mind, like I have, you know, I try to make them fun. I call them analytics Fridays where every Friday, you know, I look at like my videos for the week that like I've created and I try to understand what did well, what did poorly, how can I start to like reframe things? What, what did the comments say? Did comments on my videos call out a certain thing that I did that people enjoyed? Um, so that I can try to build more of a holistic picture of like what is going to work and what is not. Right. Because I think at the end of the day, like it also depends on like why you're doing it. Right. If you're writing a blog because you just want to like grow a following and like make it big and like be a, a person that people know, like 
it's 2022 blogs might not be the best angle to take at the moment. You know, maybe they can be supplementary to like another form of social influence. But, um, I think if you were like, I'm writing a blog because I really love writing and like writing really makes me happy. I think that is always time and time again, going to be worth it. You know, maybe you start doing some research on, all right, maybe blogs are not it, but you know, medium which is, you know, a public source, uh, a public website for people to be able to write whatever they want and other people can kind of stumble upon it might be a better apropos area to like actually air your thoughts out, right? So it's kind of like I look at it and I'm like, there's never a waste. If you enjoy it, it's always worth it. And then it's just kind of like, all right, do a little bit of analytics, do a little bit of research, do a little bit of understanding what works and like mix that with the stuff you enjoy, right? Because I think no matter how much you love, like if you love writing and you write a book and it doesn't go anywhere, like it's still not going to feel good. You know, you want to like get the success for the effort that you put in. But I think it just takes a little bit of time to like understand and like, you know, kind of wrap your mind around, okay, why, why do certain things do well and other things don't? Um, well, and, and I think that that's all doable. And the thing is, and this maybe is what I would love to point out, because when I caught myself saying wasted, the reason mm. I caught myself is because of what you kind of just laid out there, where you say that you wrote this book and it didn't, not you specifically, but just in general, if someone wrote a book and it didn't go I mean, anywhere. no, yeah, me, me, me specifically. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you were talking about how when you were 21, you wrote a book and, it, and you, you weren't very proud of it, but, but, <laughs> but maybe this is an excellent point because- you needed to use that as this catalyst to open up an idea or maybe that book sent you yeah. down this path that even though the book physically maybe didn't do well, there was a door that opened because you still wrote that book. Even though it wasn't the outcome you desired, it opened a door to something else that then presented itself as a medium to move forward in your progression of life. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's very silly too. Like, you know, I, I a few podcasts recently as, you know, some of the videos on TikTok start to do well and, um, people still listen to me. They're like author of find your mind. I'm like, I wrote that book six years ago, man. Like <laughs> we don't need to use that book. Like get that <laughs> out of the intro. Title, but like, um, did you like you rising know, TikTok like, star? Yeah, <laughs> it was rising TikTok. I love that, yeah. man. I'm like, uh, I'm a big fan of that. I'm like, uh, yeah, you know. Um, well, it was funny too because I saw someone in the comments say something along the lines of like, I'm here before you go famous. And I found it so fascinating because I was like, that was like what called me to reach out to you in the first place. Because I was like, there's something here. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're doing with your TikTok. I don't know what's going on, but there's something here where like, you know, your accounts, it kind of already is, I guess, in a in a sense, it's already starting to blow up. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know what there is about that, but yeah, I found that fascinating. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I think as you can see, like I run it like I would run a business, right? Like it's, um, you know, I'm very structured in how I do it. Uh, I, I, um, I pivot a lot, right? Like I, like last week I took the entire week off cause I not, not because my videos are doing poorly, you know, I'd grown to 15,000 followers in two months. Um, which like, you know, obviously there are people that grow faster. You know, I try to look at it and say like, I'm not necessarily just like doing, you know, thirst trappy videos, but like trying to actually like share deep, insightful messages with people, which I think can sure. sometimes be hard to share when you only have 20 seconds. Um, but, you know, all of that is to say I was like on paper, same same modality and, you know, motif we've been talking about on paper. Everything looked fantastic. I was growing. I was doing fine. All the videos were doing well. 
I was not happy with it. I was like, I can do better. Like I can do better. I can enjoy this more. I can be more creative. I can have more fun with this. And I think like, in my mind, I think that's what separates me. Um, and I could be wrong, right? Like it could be something, it could be the hair, you know, I, who knows what it is, but all I know is that like, for me, I look at it and I say, um, what, what is going to be that balance between I love doing this and like people actually want to see this. And, you know, I, I'm really intentional about how I, how I can make that happen. Um, well, well here's the thing. And, and I, and I feel like we've been in a very business esque type conversation. And so I think this is a perfect segue yeah. to kind of push this more towards consciousness and spirituality, please is exactly what you're saying. I think is the key to it, right? Because you're the whole outside validation is coming in. You have plenty of validation from the numbers to what I'm even saying to even these comments. But in your mind, it's like, I'm starting to lose the love for it, or I can see it being better. Mm. Right. And, mm. and coming from a consciousness and spirituality point of view, you can feel that like it's an energy that we feel within ourselves when we see totally. content that you're putting out, or you hear it in my voice. Whenever you listen to this podcast, it's you're, you're doing the thing that, and we could talk about the esoteric nature of why we're here, but you're yeah. doing the thing in which, you know, we could, we could have a conversation whether or not I selected to be here. And I'm down for that conversation. If we want to get there, we might be on it because I feel like we've talked about death enough here. <laughs> I'm losing, <laughs> I'm going down too many rabbit holes. I'm opening up too many rabbit holes. Let's, <laughs> I love let's, it. I love it. <laughs> we'll, we'll have time. Um, and so you're, you're channeling the, let's say the, the energy frequency of love, desire, passion, and you're putting it into your work of art, however that might be. Mm. And I think a whole bunch of great artists have done this in the past where they capture this feeling or this energy of whatever it is and put, they put it into their modality, whether you have, you know, you hear this yeah. with a bunch of artists who either go down the psychedelic rabbit hole or ones that basically spend their entire life in despair and distraught yet they take that, they channel it and they put it into mm -hmm. their work and without using any words whatsoever, of course, nowadays we're using words, <laughs> but if yeah, it's like yeah, artwork, yeah. if it's artwork, they can channel that energy into what they're doing and you feel it with every stroke of the brush that you see on there mm. on this painting that's in front of you. And so it's really beautiful to hear you say like, you know, if you think it's bad, it doesn't matter what everybody else is saying to a level. It's like, it's like you yeah. need to make that internal pivot before you start putting stuff out that is that is trash maybe. And like you would just feel that in the way you're producing it. And that's where it comes out into your work as being this beautiful, authentic thing that maybe you only see, mm. but you're taking that, you're making that next step before everybody else sees it which prevents them from seeing it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could not agree more. I feel like, you know, we are in the time of like the, you know, visual content influencer, right? Where like, you, you're right. Like it's not as much like art, like you're seeing somebody, but based on how they show up and, you know, not even necessarily the content of what they're saying, just how they show up and like what you feel by watching them is like what determines whether you stay or not, right? It's so like when everybody is vying for your attention and all it takes is this movement to like not have to watch somebody, what you're kind of innately looking for, I think without even recognizing is like, do I, do I resonate with this person? Do they make me feel something 
you know, and I think I look at it and I'm like, anybody can kind of grow a following if, if they're able to play enough with like the video tricks, distract you enough and have a decent enough message. Now, in my mind, that's what I started with, right? It's like all of my videos, anybody can go back and look through them. It was, let me come up with a message. Let me take a bunch of B-roll shots from my life. Let me put them over the message and let me put a trending sound so that, you know, your attention is kept all throughout. And I, you know, I had videos do really well, like surprisingly well, where I'm like getting hundreds of thousands of views. And I'm like, I don't even understand. I'm not really doing anything. And I think that was the moment for me where I realized and I started to see it actually happen in real time. And most people like, you know, don't recognize this, I would say, is I was like, some videos are doing well and some aren't. Um, you know, some videos, if the message is really strong, uh, resonate with people. If I like can figure out the formula to start the video off well, people will really like it. And then I looked at it and I started going through my own feed and I was like, like, I didn't even want to watch the videos anymore. Like, I was like, ah, this is boring. Like, I know the formula. Like, I know what's coming next. Like, you know, I know that this is just going to be the same crap. And, um, I think like that also reflects in my energy, right? Like where I'm like, you know, I started to realize that I was going to Instagram and trying to find like quotes that like, you know, other profiles were putting up so that I could get inspiration for what message did I want to talk about? And, like, I think I'm a really creative person. And all of a sudden, all creativity I had was gone. And I was needing to steal from other people and borrow mm -hmm. messaging in order to like, get my creative juices flowing. And I think that to me is like just a shift in my energy where it went from I have so many ideas and like, I can't even stop writing down on a piece of paper, all my ideas to, okay, what the hell am I going to talk about today? And I would spend about four hours of the morning, like miserable, trying to figure it out, writing a script, hating it, sitting on the couch, staring at the ceiling, questioning everything I'm doing. And like, do you know how much wasted time that is? Like, that's insane. Um, and then especially with an app like this, as you were saying earlier, you can start to justify like scrolling the app as part of your work. And now here I am two hours into like scrolling on TikTok and I'm like, I don't even like this. Um, and I think that's like was for me a really conscious shift to be like, I, if I'm going to be putting energy out there, like I need to like these videos. I need to want to go back and watch them. I need to be surprised by what happens because they're not all the same. And um that's what I've done, you know, and I've started to really fall in love with the process of like getting a bunch of footage and molding it into, you know, a beautiful sculpture that is, you know, each individual piece. And, you know, people would be shocked to hear like, you know, some of my videos, they're 20 seconds long. They take, you know, two hours, sometimes four hours to edit because I'm like, I can see I'm that. looking at every single thing. I'm like, how do I add a sound effect here that like reinforces the importance of this moment, right? How do I add a little ding that like shows you like, oh, okay, this is something important. You know, how do I zoom in and like have like a whoosh sound effect so that you're like, let me lock in on him. You know, like all of the little things that like, you know, are probably stuff that people don't even notice because like who the hell would notice all that stuff? I'm staring at my video for four hours trying to figure out, okay, how do I take this and create the most beautiful piece of art that like, regardless of how many views it gets, I'm like, that was cool. Um, <laughs> you know, I spent, you. <laughs> I spent like, I would say 12 to 14 hours on this video of me making coffee and got like 500 views. My worst video I probably ever put out. <laughs> and, um, I think it just goes to show me and it's kind of like, look, as long as you like it, you know, and like, I will say it did, it definitely like affected me, 
when that happened, right? Like, I think for a day, I was feeling pretty shitty. And I was like, gosh, did I make a mistake? Like, should I not have like made my videos so refined? And like, should I not have spent so much time, you know, reflecting on what they should look like? Should I just stick with the old formula? And I was like, no, like, you know, when you're when you're sharing yourself, no matter what you're doing, right? Like, and I, I, I want to go deeper into the consciousness stuff and less on the business side. But I, you know, last point I'll say is like, even something like Apple, right? Like Steve Jobs was so intentional about what are you going to feel when you open an Apple product? Like they literally put a puff of compressed air into the you know box so that it's like it has this like satisfying liftoff feeling that like we all know it has when oh, you yeah. open like a MacBook. It's um, like difficult. It's difficult to like, open it up. It gives you a little bit of like, and then once it opens, it's like, ah. You know, it's like yeah. a very refreshing, like you got it yeah. open. And like that stuff is like stuff that nobody would ever notice. But when you hear it, you're like, holy crap, that is insanely beautiful. And like, yes, there is a reason why I love unboxing Apple products. I didn't even know what it was. Um, you know, it's like even like the little uh, like rip things they have for like the plastic, you know, when you like get like yeah. a Air AirPods box and there's like that little thing that you rip and it's like everything is, it's a piece is of art. intentional and is made it's made to invoke feeling right and I think that's all we are you know in the beginning of this conversation we talked about it we're literally just balls of energy that like you know change and you know vibrate in different colors based off what we're feeling so like if you can as a product as a person as a creator hit that energy source in somebody else and make them feel something they'll stay with you nine times out of ten you know, like they want, people want to feel stuff. And maybe that's, I mean, this brings us right back to the beginning of the conversation. This leads us into some spirituality and consciousness. And, you know, when it comes back to what we started this, this conversation with the idea of, you know, asking somebody how they're doing and they say, good, look, the way that you say mm. good, oh, everything's fine. I'm good. There's a completely different resonance. You can hear it in everybody's voice, the way they say it. Like if you say, oh, I'm good. Or you say, yeah, eh, I'm good. You know, like you pick up on all of that. And so then mm. it creates this, I don't want to say a shift, but a dynamic is created where you, and maybe not like Andrew, but like your spirit, your soul can feel and resonate with what they're saying, but you don't know how to approach it because they're not being completely honest with you. Maybe they're not even being completely honest with yeah. themselves about the, how they feel. And so it creates this interesting dynamic where you're not really sure where to take it because you know intrinsically you mm. know something's wrong conscious monkeys i've got something out there for all my coaches anybody who has digital courses anybody who's creating content whether it's audio or video you got to check out superpass superpass is the super dope platform that i've been using now and they're actually what has enabled my app to work it's what's enabled me to start generating income and to help people more effectively if you are a content creator you create audio video whatever it may be superpass might be the choice for you because they'll provide you with your own app and they have a great online service to also help you out so i'm not going to put in too much because everything they do is way too much to pack into this one ad I will say go click the link below because that is where you'll be able to find all the information. This is an affiliate link and I wouldn't be promoting them if it didn't help me. Click the link below and go check out Superpass. With that being said, Conscious Monkeys, let's get back to the last segment of the interview. But it, it, it creates this imbalance of not knowing to go the step further. And so 
quite frankly, it's a, it's even a reason why I started yeah. it off with like, I'm good, man. But like, you know, a little anxious this morning, you know, and it's like, oh, like, yeah, I've, I know you've felt anxious before because you're a human being. So you instantly are like, mm. oh, okay. Yeah. Like, oh, we're, we're going to be raw. We're going to be vulnerable. We're going to be honest. Like, okay, yeah. let's do it. I, there's not yeah. many people that do that. So let's, let's open up that wormhole. Yeah. I, um, I will always say, I think the sign of like knowing you have a true friend is somebody that like you can just invite over and you don't have to have plans and like, you don't even have to like watch TV. Like you can literally just sit. And I think like in my mind, right? Like we all, we all are energy. Like, I don't care what you believe. Like, you know, I think the best example is like, you know, when you hang out with somebody or you do something and you either feel, um, depleted or energized, right? Like that to me is like a very clear sign that like they're like, people and like experiences give off energy. So, you know, if you're with somebody and you feel drained the second you leave them, that is a person that takes energy to be with. You know, if you feel energized, that is a person that gives you energy, right? So I think I look at it and I'm like, you know, when you are able to just be comfortable with somebody, in my mind, it's a sign that like, look, your, your energies just kind of like match up. Like you don't feel like you need to be somebody you're not in order to like, be in that moment with them, right? You don't feel like you need to be more aware or like you can just be yourself, right? And I think um, we're all looking for that, but we don't know how to find it because it's like, you know, and I think this too, you know, I, I, which I'd also love to talk about is, I, you know, we've been touching on is like, we all have these beliefs of what society expects from us. And, you know, we don't know how to just be ourselves, right? Like, I, I would, I will never say I was an alcoholic, but I was like trending towards alcoholic tendencies where like I was bringing beers in like a shaker bottle to class because I was like, this is hilarious. Nobody can see. And like, you know, I thought it was Damn. fun and like funny. And like, I look back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, man, like I was literally showing up to class at like 5 PM on a Wednesday drunk and like continuing to drink and like raising my hand and answering questions and like thinking like all of it was like funny. And like, really, like, you know, it was a cry for help of like, look, I just want to fit in. I just want people to like me. I just want to feel comfortable in situations where I'm uncomfortable. And alcohol very quickly allowed me to do that. And when I stopped drinking, I lost every single friend I had because I realized that like most people didn't I like we didn't get along. It was just we had this one thing in common, which was a vice that was alcohol. And it allowed us to be in the same space together. Right. And I think um to me, being able to embrace who you are and find other people that vibe with that is like the real pursuit of life, not how can I make myself comfortable in every situation? You know, yes, you'll have to do things that are uncomfortable in your life and like go to that wedding or go to that, you know, uh, charity dinner, whatever it is that, you know, I, I don't know, I haven't been invited to any of these things yet, but when you get older <laughs> and like things start to happen and you have to go to these things. Um, but I look at it and I'm like, you know, for the most part in life, you want to start to find the people that like you for you and you don't need to do anything around them. You don't need to be anything around them other than you. I love that. And the one thing that was coming to mind, and I'm going to wrap the alcohol thing into this, and this could honestly even be a good TikTok video. And I think I might need to make a version. We should probably both make a version of it and see how they come out. <laughs> but it's like this idea of the rule of, it's like a rule of three or something like that. And, you know, mm you want to categorize your friends and uh, that actually kind of feels like it sounds bad, but <laughs> at least pay attention to them. And it's like, you know, who are you willing to hang out with for three seconds, three minutes, three hours, 
you know, three days, three mm-hmm. weeks, three months, three years. Like, and what you do is you say to yourself, like, you know, where does this person fit into that category? And le- mm-hmm. like, pay attention to if you're actually following through with that. Like, you know, ask yourself, you know, Betsy, who, you know, we always gossip about people. It's like, okay, where does she fit? Like, okay, maybe she's someone that I can only spend three minutes with, but then in your actual life, you're spending three hours with her. It's like, you know, it comes to your energetic print. It's like, well, if if I can't spend more than, if I feel like after spending three minutes with her, I'm getting energy, energetically drained. Why am I spending three hours with her? And this is something that then comes back to the whole drinking thing. And I think, I think a crazy thing happens when you stop drinking because I've experienced this myself where, you know, we are all energy. We're all, all, we're all vibrating. We're all light. That's, that's what we are. We're light beings that if you stop drinking, it's going to change your light signature. It's going to change your energy signature. And now you're no longer, you're literally no longer going to vibe with people who are drinking. And when people do drink, they're going to vibrate at a different frequency that you are. And I've experienced this myself and actually heard of other people when you actually go out with people who are drinking and you're not drinking, you can feel hung over the next day. If you don't like clear your energy of being around them because mm. it's crazy. It's actually really crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so you will literally take on their energy, even though you didn't drink at all, you didn't have anything mm. because of the way that and this gets into whole light information and light fields and, uh, or the information field where you can take on literally different aspects of people just by being in their presence, just by being right beside them, Hmm. just by having a conversation with them, you take on their energy just by (laughs) being beside them in a sense, because of the light. Yeah. I think it's called light field, light or information field. It's a new thing of science. They're starting to figure out, but that's my bit on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, we 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 were talking about this um you know even like the last time that we chatted too of like um like humans are such suggest- suggestive creatures right like you know we've all seen those studies of like it'll be like line a the example line and then like bcd and it's like you know there's one person in the group that is like a plant and they'll be like oh line a looks like line c even though it's supposed to actually look like b and it's like very clear to you you know what i mean you know these experiments i'm talking about where it's like um here i got you we'll do we'll do a we'll do a visual we're basically like everybody well, let's try to is, let's try to explain it let's try to explain it for people i'll if, explain uh, it well, but right like okay. it's basically like it's basically like you have like line A, which is like the same size as line C. And it's very clear that it's different from B and D. B and D are significantly smaller. But there's one person in the group that's like, look, line A looks like line B. And then everybody else is like, yeah, it looks like line B. And like you're basically giving an answer you know is wrong oh, just right. in order to fit in with the group. And like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, this also like, you know, happens. We talked about this last time, the placebo effect where like your brain is like, you know, you force yourself to believe that something is happening because like somebody told you it's supposed to. So, um, we as humans get very suggestive to our environment and the coolest part of all of this on the flip side of like all of the negative stuff where like you're giving wrong answers and like, you know, you're not actually like, you know, drinking, but you feel hungover is it also means that like you can wire your brain to do the things that you want it to do. Um, right. Like, Hundred percent. You know, I, I I I might kick myself for saying this if it happens, but like, knock on wood, I don't get sick. Um, and like, 
you know, I have various breathing practices I do whenever I start to feel sick. But like, I also think like, even if the breathing practices don't work, the fact that I feel like I'm doing something in order to prevent myself from being sick, suggestively, like helps my body's, you know, nervous system and brain and whatever actually like fend off whatever sickness I'm feeling, right? Like, if you start to feel sick, and all of a sudden, you're like, <clears throat> I'm sick, and you lay in bed and you do all of the things you do when you are sick, you will be sick. Like your body will start to go into like it's, you know, normal operating mode for sickness. Um, right. Yeah. And I think like the brain is the coolest fucking thing of all time. But we, at least in today's day and age, often use it like against us. Right. Where we're kind of like, you know, back to the original thing we were talking about of like, I have anxiety, I can't go to that event, or I can't do that thing. And it's like, yeah, you you have anxiety, but you can also trick your brain into thinking you don't have anxiety. Because like, you know, anxiety is just an expression of feeling and an expression of emotion. And if you can rewire how you feel and, you know, kind of change how you look at something, um, you know, it's, well, it's always gonna, it's always gonna, yeah. Yeah. And to expand on this, like what I've done, and I really, at this point, I don't know how much truth in it or not, but I've convinced myself that this is true. So therefore it has become my truth, especially with anxiety is that, you know, through meditation, through breathing exercises, it's very, it's not very often that I feel anxious really that often. And I know that kind of sounds like a privileged thing to say, but it's actually very true. And what I've come to realize is that usually when I'm feeling anxiety or anxious is that like something good's about to happen like something mm. magical or different or bizarre is actually about to happen and I'm on the cusp of it. And it's this indication that I kind of just need to a sit with it, sit with that feeling and like feel what it's telling me because, you know, it's this, it's this really bizarre state of, you know, something uncomfortable. Right. And if you accept it for what it is and allow that energy to kind of pass through you and to, not identify with it, not resist it, not stay away from it to allow it yeah. to kind of just embody you and become one with it. You know, don't act out on it. Don't act on it, but just be like, Oh, I'm feeling anxious. Like, you know, I'm going to allow that energy to pass through me. I know it's not who I am. And this comes back to the whole, like yeah. being the observer. I know it's not who I am. I know it's just a feeling that means I'm human that I'm going through. And I've started realizing like, as quickly as I come into realizing that I've also started realizing that these crazy profound things are going to happen on the other side of it. Like, like mm. once I've, once I'm in acceptance of this feeling and allowing it to pass through me, I know that as soon as I feel that there's something right on the other side of it, that's like going to be wide open. Truth. And so I'm, I'm kind of excited mm. for it. Right. It, and I don't know if it's going to be right after this podcast, it might be tomorrow, but, but it means that there's yeah. a, a big event that's on my horizon that's about to break out and it, it mm. makes me excited because, because wow. And this is another correlation that I just made. This is exactly like what we were talking about when I kind of get anxious sometimes before podcasts or before a sporting event. Mm. It, it's because there's just something exciting is about to happen. You're getting anxious because yeah. something exciting is about to happen in your life. You might not know what it is, but this anxiety is a sign that it's a, that this incredible event is about to occur. And if you allow yourself to feel that emotion fully, don't embody it, but just let it feel it and go past you. It's like this incredible. And I feel like I'm repeating myself at this point, but an incredible thing is about to occur right on the other side of it. Yeah. Well, I look at it and I'm like, right. Anxiety feels like friction in the body, 
right? Like you feel like you're almost up against some right. force of like, that's getting you down. You basically have two options. It's like, all right, anxiety shows up and you can look at it and be like, I can't do whatever I want to do. Right? Like I have this very funny skit that I've been working on. That's, you know, going to go live on, on TikTok later today. That's basically like me talking to my anxiety. And it's like, there, like you said, there are so many ways to like take this, right? Where it's like, you know, you want to go out on a Friday night, but you don't really know anybody. So you, you know, decide to go out with a few friends that you don't really know. And your anxiety all of a sudden starts to rear its head. And it's like, wait, you're going to a bar with new people. You don't drink. You don't know these people. And, you know, and then you're like, yeah, so like, you know, I want to make friends. I want to, you know, get out of my comfort zone. Like, we'll be fine. We can always go home. And then your, you know, ang anxious brain is like, but what if they leave you? And what if you feel pressure to drink? And what if there's a earthquake and <laughs> bar catches on fire and the world, you know, divulges into apocalypse? And like your brain is literally thinking of the worst case scenarios. And what it's doing is that friction moment is an opportunity to say, you're right. I'm not going to go out. I'm going to stay in or you're wrong. There's beauty here. I'm going to go out and I'm going to see what happens. And maybe nothing happens. But the more that you start to overcome that friction point that is anxiety, the more opportunities will present itself for you, right? Like, if you want to own your own business, post your own content, do things that like everybody says they want to do, it's all going to come with anxiety because it's uncertain. You don't know if you're going to succeed. And that uncertainty makes you anxious. You know, you start to look at your bank account. You start to look at other, you know, modalities. You start to look at time spent. Am I really cut out for this? Am I really capable? All of the numbers are invalidating, validating, et cetera, whatever. It's all a mental process. And if you can just keep telling yourself, if I, I just keep going, like there is something there, like the anxiety is okay and embrace it and see it as like part of your waking experience, but don't let it push you back down into like a hole where you're laying on the couch and you're like questioning your life and you're feeling terrible. Um, because there's like, like you said, there is something on the other side of that, but if you give in to the anxiety and let it consume you, then there's nothing on the other side of that. And I think, you know, important to say for anybody that does really feel crippling anxiety, like ask for help, you know, kind of, there are things you can try, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, there have been times in my life where I have felt really crippled by anxiety. And I think that the greatest thing that I did was, you know, tell my parents and tell some friends. And, um, you know, I think it just, it just released me a little bit from feeling overwhelmed. And, you know, I started seeing a therapist and I started meditating and I started doing all of these things that people tell you to do, but sometimes it's so bad that like, you know, I think, you know, we can talk meditation too, but the amount of times I've heard people be like, well, I try to meditate, but then I just get more anxious and it's really just, you're giving a space for your anxiety to pop up. Um, but you know, I think that's why it's tough to be like, just do all these things because at some points you also just really need somebody to listen or, you know, a way to like, let it all out. Um, so I wanted to throw that, that clarifier in there. Do you feel like, cause I don't know that I've maybe I've had, I don't know about crippling anxiety. I don't know if I would ever label it as that, but I've certainly gone into like panic attacks before. Well, mm. panic attack also sounds like a lot. Well, let me, let me just phrase it this way. Cause I'm not sure that I can fully, I can understand, but I'm not sure that I can fully relate. Do you feel like there's a level of getting into those deep, let's say holes of anxiety that comes from a resistance to the anxiety? I think it's a, it's an interesting way to look at it. Um, I think, yes, 
I agree. I do think that like a lot of times when you start to resist the anxiety and you start to try to ignore it and you start to like hope it'll go away, like it becomes worse because like, you know, what you resist persists. So, you know, it's kind of like staying there. Um, but I also think that like there have been moments in my life that have been so low that um, I just didn't even really like understand, right? Like I think like if you've never really been super anxious before, you don't know what anxiety is like the first time that you start to experience it. Right. So you're kind of just like, Oh, something doesn't feel good. Okay. Well, what does feel good? And then you start to reach for that. Right. And for me, that was the bottle. So, you know, when I started mm. to get anxious, I would just drink and, um, you know, it still persisted. So I just drank more. Um, and this will numb it. You know, I think, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the tough part too, right? Is like even even something like TikTok, right? You feel anxious. Like TikTok is great because it's like, it's so mind-numbingly like simple and enjoyable. But the second you remove it, the anxiety floods back in like 10X, right? Because you've basically like ignored it and it's like knocking on the door like, hey, I'm still here, buddy. Like you're not getting away from me that easily. And then what happens, you know? And I think like, I've even seen this now in my life at times when, you know, I do want to resist my anxiety or I do want to like not, confront whatever I'm feeling is I basically sometimes will try to distract myself until it's time to fall to fall asleep. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's a tough spot to be in, right? Like, yes, I, I would like to say that every time I feel anxious, I know exactly what to do about it and I can overcome it. And like, you know, uh, but the mind, the mind wins, you know, like, I mean, it's like, it is the most powerful element on the planet. Like that, the, you know, people say it's water. I'm like, man, <laughs> my mind is as strong as it can possibly be. And no matter what I try to do, there are times when it'll just get me down. And I think, um, you know, that's why I like to add the caveat of like, ask for help. Um, don't let yourself deal with it alone because I think like, that's the hardest part too, right? Is when you start to add all of these other elements of, Nobody else feels this. It's just me. I'm a weirdo. I'm a loser. How how could I feel this way? You start to really get into a scary place where you're saying stuff to yourself that, um, you know, will make your mind basically turn on you. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's you're not almost, a place anybody wants to be in. You're almost allowing, I don't want to say allow it, but you're almost aiding it in that turning on because of how powerful it is. It's your subconscious mind is picking up all of these you know, signals that you're feeding into it from, you know, the, just the words that you talk and the words that you think even, I mean, mm. you know, how powerful, and this is kind of what you started off with. And I always love this concept is, you know, you're not your thoughts. And I think you made a YouTube or a TikTok video about that. Yeah. And I mean, that yeah. was probably one of the most, I think there was an after school video on YouTube that I saw that really broke my mind to that concept you know, however many years back. And it's so profound because you start realizing that you're this, just something, whether or not you're <laughs> on this page or not, let's just for sake of argument, we'll say you're just something that's beyond your thoughts. It's like, you're not, you're not your thoughts because yeah. you can sit here and say, I am a dragon. I am rich. I am poor. I am wealthy. And those are all different thoughts yet. They have no mm. bearing on who you truly are. And so yeah. What becomes fascinating by that is that these thoughts, these programs that you've been running on autopilot throughout your entire life, you break away from that and you're like, well, what am I? And this kind of comes into what people talk about with like the dark night of the soul, where it's like you realize that 
these programs that you've been telling yourself, these, these messages, you're like, oh, wait, I picked that up from my parent. I picked up this up from that parent. Mm. This programming mm. came from this person. This event in my life happened here. And you get to this certain point when you're like, holy shit, like, what am I? I, I thought that I was all these things, but yet in reality, these were all just con- like subconscious programs that I was getting fed in from usually yeah. a place of shame, guilt, or fear from somebody else who I then associated yeah. that as myself. And it's like, what am I? Like, what is this? Yeah. What is happening here? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think that that message of like, Hey, you are not your thoughts is something that like is so important. But I also think like, I remember the first time I heard that I was like, I don't even know what the hell that means, man. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, that just sounds like some hooey garbage. And I think like, you know, when you start to look at it, you're like, my brain is thinking all the time. And like, I'm not even recognizing it, right? Like, you know, you would say you're not your dreams, but your dreams are your thought, right? Like it's literally your brain doing the same thing it does when it's thinking just like asleep, you know? So it's like, you know, and all the time, like, you know, we can go through our day and thoughts are happening and we're not even recognizing that they're happening. And I think, you know, anybody that starts any form of mindfulness practice starts to notice that there becomes a point when you realize you're lost in your thought and like there's a recognition that happens. Right. And I think like this is like the key distinction for anybody. It's like, what does this mean that I'm not my thoughts is like you're sitting and your brain's traveling and you're thinking about some deep rabbit hole that you're going down about, you know, what am I doing later today? But then you're like, oh, well, later today there's lunch. So what should I eat for lunch? Oh, I had a good lunch yesterday. It was, you know, whatever, a sandwich with blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden something happens. you are like, oh, my gosh, wait, what am I thinking about? And you take a moment to step back and you realize like, OK, there is a thinking happening and I'm not even in control of it. So if you're not in control of it, it's not you. It's something that is happening and you can either go with it and just be swept by the current or you can take a stand in the water and watch the thoughts as they go by. And to me, that's like, that's the art of meditation, right? Is like you stand in the river, you lay down in the grass, you watch the clouds, you feel the current, you do whatever it is that's like you just witness. And like, if something catches your attention, fine, maybe follow it a little bit, but learn how to be able to bring it back. Um, And I think that recognition, that moment also allows you, you know, it's like, okay, I am not all the scary, effed up, crazy thoughts that I sometimes have, right? Like you could, you know, bringing it full circle. I'm not the guy that punches holes in walls. I've done that occasionally because like I have anger and I'm learning how to better channel it. But if you start to identify with what you're thinking, then you start to become somebody that like can be really scary for yourself, right? Like you could be somebody that's just an anger filled, you know, monster, Um, and there have been times in my life where that's what I have made myself out to be. Um, you know, my mom, my parents used to make fun of me that I always used to like walk around with like, uh, you know, um, an underbite. Cause I used to put my lower lip out in front of my, you know, upper (laughs) lip. That's like a sign of like me being angry. Like that was my angry face. And, um, you know, you just start doing stuff without even realizing. Um, and I think, you know, the coolest part of a practice like meditation and like a mindfulness practice is you start to recognize all of the shit that you do, right? Like even recognize how often your brain generates thoughts is like a crazy head trip where you're like, oh my gosh, like how do we go from, <laughs> you know, <laughs> being looking at clouds to thinking about chemical plants? Like, you know, it's like you all of a sudden, like you're, you're in one place and then you're in the next place. Um, so yeah. 
no, and that's that's a crazy thing in itself, right? You and and honestly, this podcast is kind of a a um how would I phrase this? A version of that, like an outward projection of that brain function. Because mm. you know, we're talking about brain function now, but you know, you go back to the beginning of this podcast and there's an entire journey that our conversation goes on that gets us to exactly where we're at right now. Now Imagine yeah. you're actually just doing that with yourself 24 7, 24 hours a day, not even paying attention to the world around you that has so many messages and miracles to present you every single day, but you're not even paying attention. You're not even looking because you've already you've already become so programmed in your way of thinking and being that it's all just on autopilot. So there is nothing for you to do except mm. to think and to just be in your head 24 7. And Alan Watts says it best where it's a it's a great tool, but a terrible master. It's like we have this incredible mm. tool of thinking, but we have just overworked it to death and we've become identified with it that it it loses its all all of its meaning. And so we and so we not even using it to the best best possible we're not even using it in its best possible way or in its best modality that we can in order to propagate the best possible future for ourselves and therefore the world. And the issue is, and the beauty of stoicism or meditation is to understand of that gap, the gap that's between thought and mm -hmm. action. And once you are aware of that gap, however brief it may be for you, that I think is where you start to completely transform your world. It's that gap between thoughts and emotion and action where, you know, if you have a thought of, you know, for me, it would be something like money and unworthiness and, and not wanting to spend money and being afraid of spending money. It's like you have that mm. thought or emotion of, of being unworthy or, or that you're not enough or that you don't have enough or that you're in lack. And then you're going to make an action based out of that. Well, no, the, the beauty of meditation is realizing that you have that past programming and you're like, wait, 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 no, no, no. That's not the program that I want to run anymore. We're running yeah. the program of abundance and love and all this stuff. So then yeah. you rewrite that. And now you take an action in the real world to propagate that action. And so then you start, I think if there's a shift that occurs over time, but you start to at least change your reality in a way that aligns with that new thought because you're taking action mm. on this new thought. And I mean, that just has profound implications throughout your entire life and throughout the world around you. Absolutely. Um, I will always say that is one of the biggest lessons that I learned just from sitting, um, meditating, right? Is like, there is this distance that you can create between the stimulus in your environment and the response that you give. And I think the coolest part is it happens like Mr. Miyagi style, you know, like you don't even have to intentionally do it. It's like the act of noticing that you got distracted, bringing yourself back is basically like, you know, wax on, wax off. Like you're literally like training your body. And then one day you'll just notice somebody bumps into you on the street and you don't react in that like knee jerk anger. Like you just take a breath and you're like, oh, wow. Oh, all right. Sorry, man. Like didn't mean, you know, and like <laughs> it's the craziest thing, right? Because like you're, you're right that like our brains are, are the greatest possible tools, but they're terrible masters. Like, you know, Alan Watts, I guess Alan Watts is right. Um, you know, they, um, they are capable of so much, but they keep you, you know, beholden and like enslaved almost like in, you know, the, the thought patterns that you have created for yourself. 
And then you add in something like the beauty of a smartphone. And now you're enslaved not only in your own head, but also like in some device, right? Like you don't even get the moment now of like, you know, 30 years ago when, okay, yeah, you could be stuck in your head, but like eventually you got to go walk on the street and like maybe something will take your attention. You know, now it's like you just pop your AirPods in or, you know, you just uh, scroll, you know, the, I mean, my biggest pet peeve is when somebody's walking and texting and like, they don't even notice that like you're walking like right into them. Um, sure. So like, you know, it's like you can have this distraction constantly. Um, and I think that like, you know, that to me adds this added layer of like, in addition to like your mind being a mess, you're now like outsourcing all of like the problems to, you know, some smartphone. Um, sure. And like, we don't even like Still enjoy the beauty of life, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like you're watching the concert that you're at on your phone, like filming. <laughs> you're not even watching the concert. And like, I'm like, I don't know. This is like just a funny aside. It's like, all right, you only get like three Instagram stories of the concert you were at before. I'm like, what are you doing posting this entire concert on your Instagram story? You've got like 12 followers. Nobody wants to see the Instagram, the concert on Instagram. Can you just IG live it next so. time. <laughs> <laughs> or, or just sit and watch take a picture fine but now just sit and watch the concert damn it All right. <laughs> be present so well would i um i'm feeling called to share this i love this I, I think i came up with this i don't think i heard this anywhere else but the metaphor that i love pointing out with like the interconnectedness between your environment and your thoughts your emotions your state of being is you know imagine that you are let's say in this entire pool of water, like just a pool, uh, imagine your favorite pool and you're in there and you're standing right. And within you, you have your state of being, then you have your thoughts and emotions, and then you have your actions. So what occurs is, is that you have these continuous thought loops and thought patterns that we've been acting on since we were kids and things out of anger, things out of fear, out of shame, out of guilt, which causes you to create action. And let's say that's represented by the way that you move your, your arms or move around the pool. Now, what occurs is, is that you're in this state of fear. So you move your arms in the frequency of fear or lack or shame or guilt or whatever. Now you introduce meditation to the equation and you realize that you can actually stop the way that your arms are moving to attract, to create abundance or even more so reprogram your thoughts and emotions to harness abundance and love and uh, you know joy. And so what you do is, is you have a thought come up that triggers an emotion. And because of meditating, you now are able to create this gap between the frequency that you move your arms. And so you have a thought and emotion that is based in fear and guilt. And you say, whoa, 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 I'm not going to move my arms to that because I know what that feels like. So instead you Take a, you take a deep breath, you know, you get calm and then you take an action and move your arms in a certain way that radiates the frequency of love and joy. Now, what happens is, is that people don't realize is that since you're in this pool, all the other frequencies that you've put out into the world for the past, I don't know, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years are still in that pool of water, that energy, that quantum field of energy. And so what's going to occur is that they have hit the edges of the water and are now getting rippled back towards you. So what happens is, is that the outside world is almost this reflection of your past thoughts and emotions that are now coming back to you and are going to trigger an emotional state from you that is going to remind you of those thoughts 
And now your goal is with meditating is to realize that this is a past event that you had created X years ago in your life. And you need to separate yourself from it and say, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a past feeling. This is a past emotion. And you do the process again. So that way you're not acting out. Yeah. And now over maybe the course, it takes a, a day, two days, three days, a month, a year, you are continuously vibrating at this frequency of love or joy and actually putting those ripples out into the water around you. And now after a year or two, those ripples are going to start coming back to you and you're going to start feeling it and it makes it easier. And this is now come to a biblical thing when, you know, I think it might've been Jesus, but somebody said, you know, those who have some more shall be given those who had nothing, all shall be taken. It's because those ripples in the wave of the quantum field or of the pool are adding to that emotional state that you were already in that's propagating your beliefs you're seeing in the world mm-hmm. around you and it's validating what you already held true and believe. So therefore you continue to carry it out. And thus it becomes this either race to the bottom or race to the top, depending on the mental state that you put yourself in to carry out the actions that are your arms in this pool of life. I'm super well said. Uh, I, um, I look at it and it's like, <clears throat> I have always been the most skeptical person that like you can imagine, you know I mean? Um, you talked about your dad and like my dad's my best friend, but like he's a very cynical guy and he looks at the world as like, it's, it's very real. Like, unless it's real, there's like nothing, you know? So we, we didn't grow up religious. We didn't grow up with beliefs. We didn't grow up with much spirituality. And when I dove into this world of spirituality, when I was, you know, 18 years old, um, I, I didn't want to believe a single thing that like didn't make sense to me. Right. Right so, there like, with you, man. You know, I know like, and that's, what's cool. Right. Is now like, I think I, I, I asked so many questions, right? Like, you know, I would sit, um, you know, in, in college with Buddhist professors and Hindu chaplains and like, ask them, like explain reincarnation to me in like a scientific sense. Like how could it possibly work? And like, I think what's so cool is like all of this skepticism has now made it so that like, whenever I, you know, I can now speak to like, I am very spiritual in my own right. But whenever I talk, I try to keep everything super like, let's just like look at this from like a very clear perspective. And I think like, when you say like, you're basically saying like, whatever you put out is what you attract. And like, that is just beyond true. And like, I think most people are like, how could that work? Like, you know, um, I think it's Esther and David Hicks, or I have their book somewhere, like asking it is given is like one of the greatest books of all time. And it's basically this thesis of like, if you put out certain energy into the world, if you ask the world for something and you give space for the world to deliver it to you, it will come your way. Like that is the law of attraction. The problem is that most people ask for something, but don't really believe it in their head, right? Like you're like, I want money. But then in your head, you're like, I don't deserve money. You know, there are all these other feelings that like are wrapped up in the ask for money. And what happens is, and I like taking this from like, what is the most real sense that somebody could look at this, right? It's like, when you are nice and you put out good energy into the world, it gets reciprocated, right? Like we're all beings. So like if you go and you're like, you know, this happens to me all the time. Like if you are nice to people at your local coffee shop, eventually you will get free coffee. Like I, like hands down, I'm willing to bet it 100% of the time. If you are nice every single time that you walk in there, if you try to make conversation, if you ask somebody about their day, if you actually care People will do things for you in response. What you put out is what you will attract back. So if you're giving somebody something that they feel good about, they'll give you something that they will know makes you feel good, which, you know, in this case will be free coffee. Um, 
when I lived, you know, I lived in South Carolina for a year when I was writing my book and there was, you know, small town. So like one coffee shop, I was there all the time writing my book. I ended up becoming friends with the baristas. I gave one of the baristas my book and she gave me free coffee for an entire year. I did not pay for an entire year. Damn. And I'm like, I mean, first of all, it's an insane amount of savings, but, um, you know, I think, um, and I won't name the coffee shop so that, you know, she doesn't get in <laughs> trouble for giving me free coffee. But, um, I think, you know, looking at this idea of like, look, from a very logical standpoint, if you put out good energy, you will get it back. But if you put out fake good energy, if you're like, look, I'm just going to do things for people because that'll hopefully give me something good. You're not going to get good energy back, right? We've been talking about this all the whole time. Like people feel energy, energy goes out, something connects with it and like brings it back. And there is this law of attraction in the universe that like, if you want to take something a little less like rigid as like, you're nice to somebody, they're nice to you back. You know, if you want money, you will start to put yourself in the headspace to be able to get that. But if there is a negative thought going on in here, that's like, I don't deserve it. You're never going to get it because you're going to keep finding ways to punish yourself, thwart yourself, get in your own way of what you want because you're like asking for something, but not really putting out the energy. Right. And I think to your pool analogy, it'd be like, oh, I realize I'm putting out, you know, fear. I'm going to put out love because that's what I want to be putting out. But like, really, you're not able to do that unless you're actually being intentional about it. Um, and I think that like, you know, that to me is like the biggest distinction is like, this stuff can't be faked. Like, you got to really feel it. And I think like most people too in our society want instant gratification, right? You want to be able to say like, I want money. And the next day you win the lottery. But like, that's not going to happen. You know, you have to be willing to trust, be willing to put out the energy, be willing to put in the work constantly to get better because whether people want to hear this or not, you've been putting in the work constantly to get to where you are right now. It's just not been the right work. So, you know, <laughs> if you put in the right work, you will get to the place that you want to be, right? Um, yeah, the greatest analogy I ever heard in like the world of fitness was like, if you are out of shape right now, you can't just go to the gym and expect it to change overnight. Like this is years of neglect that like you need to now put years of non-neglect into in order to like get to where you want to be. Um, but we hope that like, you know, going to the gym once or sitting and meditating once or one therapy session can un, you know, block years of neglect. And that's just not how it works. Going quickly back to what you were talking about with, um, you know, you can't put out fake energy. What's your opinion on the idea of fake it till you make it? I think that's a great question. Um, this is very, very something I've, I've been talking about a lot lately. I don't really know why, but I, I think there is a fine line between fake until you make it and just blatant lying. Um, and I think, you know, the intention behind it has to be good, right? Like I, um, when I first started meditating, like my, my mind is not an easy place. Like it, it does not find peace easily. It does not sit quietly easily. Like it took me a long time to be able to like build the capacity for it. And, um, very quickly, I would say, you know, six months into meditating, I decided to start teaching some of my friends and I was not doing it every day. I did not really do it well. I didn't really fully know what I was doing, but I knew there was something special to it and I wanted to share it. And I think like, right, like that to me is like, I was faking it till I made it right. Like, I'm not a mindfulness expert. I wasn't a meditation teacher. I didn't really know what I was doing. I just found something that I thought was kind of cool. And I wanted to share it with people. 
Um, it was only like, you know, like two or three months after that, that I started writing my book on meditation, right? I'm not an expert, I'm literally <laughs> faking it till I make it. But the intention behind it was not, Hey, I want to sell meditation to my friends so that I make a boatload of money or, Hey, I want to write a book. So I become famous and make a boatload of money, right? The intention was I found something that I think is really cool and I want to share it with the world. Um, and I think like, you know, it takes a lot of humility too, right? If you're faking it till you make it and you realize you were wrong on something, you have to backtrack, right? Like there's an interview with me when I was like 20 years old and somebody asked me if I was a Buddhist and I say, no, but you know, there's no rites of passage to become one. So like, you know, maybe I'm just a Buddhist. And like, you know, I learned like three weeks later that like, yes, there is an entire ritual that you have to go through in order to like convert <laughs> to Buddhism. And like, you have to take the five precepts and you have to actually go through a ceremony. And I'm like, wow, I just literally told people I'm Buddhist, even though like I haven't done any of this. And I like was misinformed. <laughs> and I think, you know, I have the humility now to admit like, look, I was wrong. I was just trying to figure out and like share with the world, the stuff that really resonated with me, which was Buddhist ways of thinking and ways of life. And, you know, um, yeah, I think fake it till you make it, but be intentional about it, right? If you um, are running a company and the company has a mission, you can fake it till you make it if you believe in that mission. But if you're running a company because you want to be a billionaire and you're faking it, the mission is pointless. Like you're, you're, you're literally just lying. Um, and, you know, I have seen being in the world of startups, so many startups do that, where like, they will just do whatever they can in order to make money because they don't necessarily believe in their mission um, or don't have a mission or the mission has changed and you go from faking it till you make it to now we're just blatantly lying. Well, and wouldn't that be then a key distinction of changing your mission statement to we just want to make a boatload of money versus maybe, right? Because then, because I think this might be yeah. an interesting point, right? Is like, you know, if your mission is to make a shit ton of money, cool. But if you're saying out like, oh, we just want to help people. But then on the back end, you're like, oh, we want to make a ton of money. Like da, 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 da. It's yeah. like that would be the incongruency that would cause you to fail at both. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I, I get it, right? Like if you go to investors and you're like, they're like, so what do you do? And we're like, well, we're just trying to make a boatload of money. Will you give us money? Like, yeah, they're not going to give you money. But if you don't, have full belief in what you're doing. If you're not saying we are going to stop at nothing to achieve this goal, even if we have to completely get rid of everything we've built and start from scratch in six months, like this is what we're striving for. And this is how we think we're going to get it. That's a different game than like, Hey, this is what we're striving for. We're building this product. And then you realize the product isn't working and you're like, great, we got to go raise more money and keep working on the product because like, this is what we pitched investors on. Like, you know, I look at it and I'm like, you know, the law of karma basically takes intention into, you know, its entire kind of being, right? If you do something, but your intention behind it was pure and good and something happens that's without your control, that's not on your, you know, karmic wheel for, uh, you know, negativity points against you, right? Like, you know, if you try to help somebody and they don't want your help and they end up, you know, getting all out of whack because like, you know, you tried to help them and they feel, um, you know, I, I guess I, I feel like I need a story in order to illustrate this. Otherwise it like just sounds like a bunch of words, but right. Like I think there are certain things where it's like, look, you could, you could try to, um, give somebody charity and that might affect their pride, right? Like, you know, if, you know, 
I looked at you, Clayton. I was like, man, like, you know, this is not how you look. But I was like, man, you look down on your luck. Let me give you some money, you know. And you were like, what the hell, man? Like, I'm not down on my luck. How dare you, you know, belittle me like that? I'm not a bad person for like, unless my intention was let me belittle him. You know what I mean? So I think like it goes to this idea of like, what are your intentions behind doing something? Um, and if your intentions are really pure, then I think like, no matter what happens, you'll find a way to get what you're looking for. But if your intentions are muddled and really you're striving for something that you're not telling people, um, that is what starts to, you know, get fuzzy. And I think I've seen this for myself, right? When I first started on TikTok, I was telling myself, I just want to create content that I like, but I was really doing it because I wanted to be famous and I wanted to be able to, you know, have a following where I didn't have to worry. And like, you know, I could just make money from being me. And I, it took a while. It took several months of journaling through that and reflecting on that to realize that like, I wasn't really making the content that I liked because I had this other, you know, desire. And then right. it's like, neither are being met. Right. Right. And in my mind, I decided I was like, no, you know what? I really don't care about being famous. Like I did this because I really like being creative. And I love the feeling of like waking up and having so many ideas flow through my head. And I just get to put them on paper and make them happen. And I took a step back and I said, you know, okay. And I think the key distinction too, for people is like, when you make a decision like that, you now need to set parameters in place to allow you to stay to that decision, which for me was, I don't go on TikTok except for one hour on Sunday to scroll through and look at what people are doing. You know, I go on to post and I go on once at the end of the day in order to check comments. And like all of these boundaries kept it so that I wasn't beholden to like how many views that I get. I post, I get out. I'm really just focused on being creative. And I think um, for anybody that has a goal or has a vision or has a dream or has something that they want out of life, you need to look at that juxtaposed to like, well, what are you doing in order to get there? Um, and I think that's when you'll start to see like, okay, do I really want love or am I really just like, I, I, you know, um, I think, you know, relationships are another area where this is like so abundant, right? It's like, people are like, do they, do you really want somebody that you love or do you just want validation that you're attractive and have a lot of mates, you know? And like, I think that's like a key distinction that like people need to realize, like, are you going on dates and really seeking people out? Or are you just, you know, going out with somebody and leaving the next night to go out with somebody else? Um, you know, is it an ego play of, I want a lot of partners or is it a love play of, I really want somebody I can share my life with. And I think, um, a lot of people ask for one, but do the other. And I think noticing that is what, you know, like you were saying, you can then decide like, look, I just want to be a bachelor. Great. You'll probably be way happier doing what you're doing. But if you realize like, okay, I really don't want to do that. You'll make the behavior change. Um, and like, I mean, I love talking about like, I think it'd be fun to talk about like our experience with alcohol because like we're both young guys that like don't drink. And I think that like that is fascinating for like a lot of people. Right. And like it was the same series of events for me, you know, where I was kind of like, OK, I want to fit in and I want people to like I want to I want people to like me for me. But the only way that I feel like I can be comfortable is if I drink. And like all of a sudden now I'm not me when I'm drunk. I'm just kind of like this amorphous stumbling blob that, you know, just does like whatever an amorphous stumbling blob would do. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I think that recognition helped me realize, you know, and, and I will say like I, I took two weeks off from drinking. That was like how I started. But then in that two weeks, this is what I realized is I was like, oh, my gosh. What I'm looking for is to be loved, heard, seen, understood, and accepted. 
what I'm doing is I'm trying to use alcohol in order to like make myself feel that. Right. And what's happening is I'm just getting drunk and feeling terrible all the time and not getting what I want. Well, so and, yeah. And I think probably one of your more viral TikToks was about like how you spend your sober weekends, which I think yeah. probably was a part of what captivated me because on my path, whenever, you know, I was probably, I think 25 or 26 at the time realized that I hadn't been sober for seven days or like I hadn't gone without a drink for seven days since I was like 18 or something, which to me was like, holy shit. Like I always told myself I wasn't, mm. I wasn't an alcoholic, but if, if I have to go this often with a drink, then maybe I am, you know? So for me, like yeah. you're saying, it was like 30 days without drinking and I remember that the reasons, you know, this comes back to the why, why are you drinking so much? Well, the, mm. the truths that I had told myself, the programs that I was running through my head were, you know, it, I, it's where I meet all my friends. It's where I meet or start mm. all of my female relationships. It's what I do on weekends. So the question became, well, if I'm not drinking, how am I going to connect with my friends? How am I going to find the quote unquote love of my life? How am I going to be able to spend my time? Like, like all these things, because I had spent almost 10 years of my life building an entire life around alcohol, everything was attached to it. Everything from my significant other to my friends, to where I spent my money, it was all on this one thing. And it was like, holy shit. Like talk about limiting beliefs, man. Talk about confining Mm. your reality to a specific thing and you know first of all if that's anyone's concerns i'll tell you that i've been good on all those fronts (laughs) since stopping so um and with that being said i'll have one like here and there but like even now i i get like hung over from just like one glass of wine or like you know one beer and i'm just like i don't i I can't do more than that but regardless getting back to like the limiting beliefs and the why it's like come back to your why why are you doing it Yeah. I, you know, and I, I'll be the first to say, I don't think there's a problem with drinking. Like, I think like, you know, if people have a healthy relationship with it and they enjoy, you know, like there's beauty in the creation of like craft beer and the creation of wine, you know, overseas in Europe. And like, it's an art and like, there's, there are people that embrace it, but the way that I think our culture has adapted in the U S is like, you basically start binge drinking at like 16 years old. And it's like, you know, it's cool up until you're like, you graduate college. And now it's like, dude, you can't drink like four days a week and like nonstop and like expect it to be cool. But like, you don't know what else to do, right? Like, this is kind of like your waking life. And like, yeah, let's get really real for a second. Like drinking is like the only way to like have something to look forward to on the weekends. It's like the only way that you think you can be social. And it's the only way you think you can go find and land a potential mate. And the truth is, that none of those things are necessarily achieved, right? Like, yes, if you have a good relationship with it, it can be fun to go out, toss a few back and hang out with your friends and really enjoy your time dance, feel, you know, a little loose. Like there are good benefits to it. But if you're anything like me, what any what really ended up happening is like you basically have one drink. It doesn't do much. So you just start to have more and more. You end up blacking out. You don't really remember like what happens. You know, you you meet somebody, you might go home with them. Um you know, and like, it's, it's all fun. And like, you got stories to tell. And like, that's the other part too, right? Is like, it gets glorified in the post effect of it. And if, 
anybody has like a concern or they're listening to this now and they're like, wow, okay, wait, maybe, maybe I have an issue with drinking. Like just take a week off. Like that's all you need to do is take one week, two weeks off and you'll see like, okay, am I happier without it? What do I feel? What are the main things that I feel like I'm missing? Because you're not missing the hangover. You're not missing the, you know, forgetted moments throughout the night. You're not missing the, I got zero sleep and I don't get to have a productive day. Like you're not missing any of that. What you might be missing is I don't have anything to do on the weekends. I don't know what, I don't have friends. How am I supposed to find somebody that I can, you know, hang out with? Uh, how can I find a potential mate? That's scary too. And all of those things, it is, it's terrifying, man. Yeah. I mean, like I stopped drinking when I was 21 years old. I had just turned 21. I had an epic birthday in Damn. Vegas. It was insane. I was <laughs> pumped for like, you know, just years of partying. And two months later, I stopped drinking. And, you know, I have not looked back. Like, you know, literally September 17th, 2017. And it has been since that day. Um, and, you know, it's, it's you know, and I'll be honest with everybody. Like, I'm, I'm currently in the throes of, like, reassessing my relationship with it, too. Because I'm like, I would like to be able to have a glass of wine with my family if we're going to a vineyard, you know. Or I'd like to be able to have a beer if it's, like, in an environment that feels comfortable. Like I said, I don't think drinking is bad. It's when it starts to say, when you start to say, like, I need that. Or you, you know, have one socially and you're like, I need another in order to feel comfortable. Or you're out with new people and it's the only thing you feel like can break the tension. And those are all of the things that I try to avoid. And what I did to replace it is I just started to find new people and new things to do on the weekend, right? Let me start diving into, you know, something like running and go find a running club to run with. And for anybody that's like, well, I can't run fast. Like, look, there are running clubs that go at all different speeds. You know, you can start diving into something like jujitsu. You can dive into all of these different modalities, learn a new skill, learn a new hobby. And eventually you will start to find people that do the same. And I mean, this mainly goes towards like the guys out there. You're not finding your potential wife out at a club or a bar. Like maybe. But really, like what's more likely going to happen is like you'll find somebody if you can walk up to them at a coffee shop or like in the middle of the park and like just start a conversation or go to one of these events, go to a running club, go to a, you know, jujitsu class, go to a workout class. And like you'll meet somebody there. Like these are the places where you will actually meet somebody. And I feel like, you know, when I really started to look at my drinking, I was like, I'm literally doing this just so that I can like have cool experiences, which aren't even cool and like, you know, get laid. And I realized that like, <laughs> I basically, you know, and this is like where it starts to probably get like too much information for people that want to know about my sex life, but I basically couldn't have sex without being drunk. And, you know, I would start to worry about like, what would my performance be if I wasn't drunk and I would get all nervous. Oh, I've been there. So like, I mean, dude, like literally I had, uh, when I, when I was in 10th grade, 11th grade, maybe I had a girlfriend and before the first time that we had sex, I snuck into the closet and I was like, yeah, I just need a minute. And I took four shots, like literally like, <laughs> really, like I snuck wow. into my closet and like, yeah. And then I was like, okay. And I just need to run to the bathroom, brush my teeth. So she couldn't smell anything. And like, literally, I, and I look back now and I'm like, wow, like that is the start of like, that was my girlfriend. It wasn't like a random stranger, you know? Um, and, well, and then your, I think your right, brain is like, making this, it, you know, attachment to the alcohol. Yeah. It's like, okay, if, if I, I'm going to have sex. I have to get drunk for it. And it's, you know, this comes back yeah. to the whole why, like, why are you doing it? And I know for sure, I know for sure. I never, I haven't thought about this for a while, but I know for sure that there was some form of me that, you know, let's say premature ejaculation where, you know, that's, you know, what if there's this, 
this pressure where you're like, well, if I premature yeah. ejaculate and like, you know, she knows my friends and then she tells other people. And so then, you know, it's, Absolutely. it's this whole mental game. And what's kind of interesting about that, and this can be a different rabbit hole, but you would think premature ejaculation would be like the greatest compliment to a girl, right? Hindsight. <laughs> but <laughs> that's beside the point. Facts. Facts. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And so my whole thing is like, you know, you're, and what's crazy is, is now being on the spiritual side of stuff and realizing and like having relationships where I have been completely sober, it's like, you know, you can create such a deeper connection and actually have a better orgasm for that matter without alcohol. And yeah. you can really learn so much about yourself, your body and everything by taking that out of the equation and hell experiencing something that you might be ashamed of. Like maybe there is a time when you, you know, let's say you know, premature come and you're like, well, shit, like, why did that happen? Or, or, and this is actually a really powerful thing. Realize that it's not that big of a deal. Like if, if she's going to shame, here's the thing. If she shames you for it, like that's someone to get the fuck out of your life. Honestly, like, you know, that's someone yeah. you don't want in your life and you know, they're going to make you uncomfortable. You can't be vulnerable with that person. So good riddance, honestly. And, and that might be a little bit difficult for people to hear. I know if I was listening to this, you know, 10 years ago, I'd have probably been like, fuck that. Like, you know, like that's a scary yeah. thought, but I, I get it, man. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I will say it like, I, you know, I try to be, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty open about everything. Like, yeah, that, that was my fear, right? Like I had a few experiences early on and like everybody does, man, like it's super exciting and like you get real excited and then all of a sudden, you know, something flies out before you're ready for it to happen. And yeah, it is a little embarrassing, but the problem is the way to, actually not let that happen is to keep doing the thing and get comfortable with the fact that when that happens, that just happens. And eventually it won't happen. And like, you know, I think nobody tells you that when you're growing up, you know, it's kind of like, you know, and, and, you know, porn, especially I think is like the oh, most yeah. detrimental thing to our brain. Cause you see some dude who's like, you know, on some stuff and like has already, you know, ejaculated six times and there are fluffers keeping him hard. And like, he's going for 45 minutes and you're kind of like, Oh my gosh, that's what I need to do. And then, you know, you hit four seconds and you're like, okay, uh, <laughs> you know, you start to feel all embarrassed. And I will say like, yes, it is embarrassing. My girlfriend, I love her. The first time before we ever had sex, we were gonna, I stopped us and I literally go, I need to tell you something. And she's like, what? And I was like, I, I don't know why, but for some reason I get really nervous sometimes and I'm worried that I'm going to finish too quickly. And I feel like if I put it out there, it won't happen. And she was like, okay. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, I put <laughs> my awesome. biggest fear on the table. I literally, you know, metaphorically put my dick and balls on the table and then physically, you know, and then like, it was like, you basically overcome your fear by actually diving into it and like being vulnerable and like, you know, anybody that's like, well, you know, I, when I, when I would drink, I couldn't finish. So, you know, yeah, I was like in my mind, like the porn star, you wanted me to go for 45 minutes by all means. Um, you know, we a whole nother conversation and, you know, probably well, need some females on the podcast of, is that actually <laughs> enjoyable? But you know, the, the real challenge then becomes is you can only have sex while you're drunk. You know, anytime without it right. and you start to worry, you know, you start to get those inklings. Get of, okay, no, I'm going to finish too quickly. I need to, I need to cut this off right now and tell them like, look, I'm not interested or I need to go sneak into the bathroom and drink some freaking alcohol. And, um, that's a scary, scary place to be in. Well, and you know, if we take this back to the whole porn situation, it's like, you know, I've, 
how do I describe this? You know, I've, I've seen porn back in the day, whenever, you know, you're drinking and then now going through this whole, let's say spiritual awakening and processing stuff. And it just hits different. Like you can almost, Mm. you can tell, you can feel whenever it's, it's like the fake, like not, I guess not fake, but not as real. Like you can feel that there's not a connection between the two people and don't get me wrong. Sometimes you see it and you're like, Whoa, like there's definitely a connection between these two people. And like, you're like, you're almost like there, let's say, (laughs) but yeah, yeah, yeah. Majority of it, 95% of it, you can see that there's this fake authenticity behind it that is no longer like captivating because you're kind of like, you kind of can see behind the lens now that you've either removed porn for long enough from your life or you've had intimate relationships that, you know, the sex is honestly a lot better. And don't get me wrong. Like there's, I think, I think there's validity and pleasure in the like super rough and like, you know, more, I guess, violent, violent feels like the wrong word, but more aggressive nature of sex. Like, don't get me wrong. There is a utility in that and there is pleasure in that. But, but with that being said, there's also utility in falling into the, you know, let's say it's like the differences between like making love, having sex and fucking shout out to that Mac Miller yeah. song. I forget which song. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's the girls at the end of yeah, it that yeah, are talking yeah, about I know it. what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like you, you understand those different levels of energy exchange and to be able to see mm. that, you know, first of all, within yourself and then to see it in, you know, a video, you're like, it just almost doesn't sometimes, I guess I, Still not perfect about it, trying to get away from it myself. It's a it's a demon of mine that I'm working out. Uh yeah. And yeah. and it's certainly something that you can now see. And you're like, oh shit. Like, you know, this isn't the whole truth. Like there's more truth than there's just this. Yeah. I um I, I've heard it talked about in multiple ways. I, I stopped watching porn in twenty eighteen. Um good for you. And it I mean, it's crazy because like, you know. Um, and for an entire, you know, two years, no problems. Like I didn't think about it once. And then, you know, the pandemic hits and you're kind of like, you know, I was back in my childhood home Mm. in my bedroom where it's like, okay, that's where all this stuff went down. All of a sudden you start to like, it's like a junkie being, you know, back next to the crack pipe. Like it's, it is so, uh, it hits the pleasure senses like, like no other. And I think, you know, a lot of people are kind of like, no, it's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, it's a normal part of growing up. Everybody does it. And like, anything that you're kind of doing in secret, like hunched over in a bathroom with like, you know, kind of a towel (laughs) under the door and like earphones in, like, is probably something that like, you should not be doing, right? Like, you know, I think it's like, you think about anything else that people do in secret. Like, you know, if you're going to drink two two week old stale milk you're not going to yeah. tell anybody about it like you're kind of like ashamed of it and yet like we kind of look at jacking off and you're like no like it's just part of life man like but you'd be ashamed to tell people some of the stuff that you put in your porn search history and like you know there's a reason that everybody opens up a private tab and like you know unless you're really into this stuff you're probably not you know just like leaving it on your search history um so you know yeah i think um recognizing too it's like it's all like we said it's all about recognizing like what what are you doing and why are you doing it and if you're trying to get pleasure out of this what you're really probably saying is like i'm sad and like i want somebody that i can be intimate with but this thing is a good enough replacement for that right now right it's kind of like me with like hey i don't i want to fit in but i can't feel that right now because i haven't found people to be myself around so drinking is probably a pretty good replacement for now and like 
all of that is fine until you go to a level where it's like, all right, well, I feel terrible, but black tar heroin is a pretty good replacement for now. And like, then it's like, all right, okay, you've taken it too far. And it's like, everything is too far. All of it is like messing with your brain and messing with your ability to enjoy your life. Some things are just arbitrarily approved by our government and other things aren't. And like, you know, it's, it's an interesting point. <laughs> well, yeah. And what's even interesting about this, and maybe people could pick this up in the, and just listening, but even kind of when we started this conversation or anytime we'd even say the like phrases like premature ejaculation, there's this hesitance. Like it still feels uncomfortable for even us to just talk about this as guys in a sense. Yeah. I, I don't know if you felt that as well. I get it. It's like, um, you know, I mean, like you're grown up, like nobody wants to say the word penis. Like it feels weird. You know what I mean? Like there is like a taboo nature around it. But I think normalizing that conversation, the greatest thing I have ever done for my sex life in my entire, entire life was telling my girlfriend first time, this is my biggest fear. Like, I'm literally going to tell you right now, my biggest fear in intimacy is that I finish too quickly. And now, you know, anytime that it does happen, whatever, I'm in my head, I'm worried something's going on. You know, it still happens for me occasionally. You know, it's like she now knows. And like, there's a there's a level of intimacy that exists there that didn't before and has never in any other relationship that I've ever been in. And I think like, I get what you're saying too. Cause I think most people will listen to this and be like, okay, this is crazy. Like, you know, I'm just going to stick to my porn and my drinking and my going out and my finding potential mates and my enjoying myself. And like, I've been there, I've been there. I've lived that entire life. I I've, you know, there are times where like in my head, I still fantasize and kind of like put that life on a pedestal because like there is something fun about it right it's also like the plot of like every like college movie ever right it's like there's like you know the van wilder the stifler that you know just goes out and searches for women and um well and then they find the one the the, the pivot is they find the one and exactly. then they give up their drinking life and then they change their entire life because of it so why and shouldn't i why when, shouldn't i drink until i find yeah. the one right which ironically that's not how well, it actually works out in reality yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'd like to Google to see if those actors are even with somebody right now. But you know, that's a whole nother story. Um, I think the other thing too, is like, look, when you're, you know, back to this idea of like, when you're on your deathbed, all of the people that you had sex with are not showing up. It's the one person that you built a life with. Right. So it's like, you can go out and have all these escapades and like have these stories to tell your buddies. But like, who really wants to know about this stuff? Right? Like, you know, I have, um, you know, you talked about this idea of like when you were saying you know the example of like hanging out with betsy and all you guys do is gossip and i'm like yeah like there are times when like i hang out with my friends that like i went to high school with and all we talk about is like past women that we've been with and i'm like this isn't fun like this is just us like you know we try to do the thing of like let's talk about our current lives it feels weird because we have nothing to connect over so we just digress into like what was the dumb stuff we talked about when we were 17 years old um sure and yeah i think you know, people do not do not want to, you know, maybe some people do, but I would imagine most people don't want to just be a bachelor their entire life. They want to find somebody that they really care about and could spend their life with. And like the problem then becomes is like our society also, you know, puts kind of sex on this like pedestal and there are all these shows and all these Instagram photos and everything that also then distracts you from what you really were searching for. And, you know, I think the other important distinction to make is like, even when you find the one, 
you need to work your ass off in order to make that relationship good, right? Like, it's like being like, all right, I'm just going to come up with an idea for a great company and then it's, I'm not going to do anything about it, right? Like, no, no other field in your life do you just do one thing and then you're set. Like, you can't just find that person and then be set for life. Like, you need to work together to keep growing, to keep making the relationship good, to keep working on your sex life and everything in between. Otherwise, you'll start to look for things outside of that relationship. And that's when it starts to get difficult and fuzzy. And, you know, there's a reason why 50% of marriages end in divorce. It's because, you know, as for a whole host of other reasons too, like we're not able to be open with somebody fully. And that prevents us from feeling the level of intimacy that allows us to change and grow together. And I think that starts with ourself, like the, to be completely vulnerable, you not agree yourself. more. And, what becomes interesting is this even comes back into the beginning of our conversation with anxiety is, you know, how, you know, if you can't even be honest with yourself, how can you pot if you can't be honest with yourself and still love yourself, how could you possibly expect somebody else to love the honest and vulnerable you? And I know from my own personal examples, whenever I've been the most honest with, you know, girls, probably the last two or three mm. girls I've been with, that's where I've seen the most depth unfold within our relationships. You know, for me, it was like acne on my back. It's like, I would, I would like get out of bed in a very strategical yeah. way so that she wouldn't see it. And then one day it came to me, just share it with her. And I was like, yeah, like, by the way, like, I don't remember why I said it or something called me to say it. I was just like, Hey, by the way, like, you know, something about acne and like, you know, and, and she just kind of is like, Oh, like, okay. Like this is my biggest insecurity. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> I was like, we're not going to make a big deal about that. Like, <laughs> you know, this is this thing yeah. that I've held up for so long and I'm like, I can't let any girl like yeah. see my back. Cause I have acne, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, wait, you're just going to accept me for who I am. Like it's, it's okay to be mm. vulnerable. Like you're not going to lash out at me. Like I, I created that entire monster on my own and gosh, it's so freeing yeah. to just, just, just say it. And like, you know, if she didn't accept me, I guess I would have dealt with that. However, but I guess it takes a level of vulnerability and acceptance within yourself to even just open that up to somebody else. Yeah. And also it's like, too, you know, I mean, everybody says this and it's much harder to believe, but it's like if if you're going to be your true self and whoever in your life is like not accepting of that, that's not the person you want to be with. Right. Like. I think most people are like, look, like as long as I keep this hidden, we'll be fine. And it's like. I mean, it goes back to what I was saying in the beginning too. Like, why do you want your life to be fine? Like you have the ability to, to build whatever life you want. The problem is, you know, we want security. We want comfort. We want, you know, self-esteem and belonging. We want all of these base needs when really what everybody craves is like being able to go above those and have growth and have contribution and have like true meaning in life. Um, but we settle, right? Because it's like, well, you know, they're pretty perfect. And like, but you know, it's just this one thing. And like, I just won't tell them and like, it'll be fine. And it's like, no, like, if somebody in your life is there for you, and you guys have an open relationship, you know, in the sense of like communication, you can actually get what you're looking for. You just need to be able to ask for it um, and talk through it and like do the difficult thing. And I think, you know, 
imagine imagine if seven billion people were more vulnerable with like the people around them and if if people could show up to work and be like you know somebody was like how you feeling today and you're like you know what i'm not i'm not great today you know it like it almost like that in and of itself will make you great because you're like not hiding you know you get to just be yourself and um yeah that was that was something for me that like I always wanted growing up and I could never have, you know, I always felt like, all right, I'm a man. I need to keep everything close to, you know, my chest. I can't cry in public. I can't feel emotions. I need to be locked the fuck down. And, um, that, that is the worst thing that you can kind of do for yourself. I completely agree. And I think at some level, this also, what this touches on is like the element of toxic masculinity. And, you know, there's always an element of me, an element of me that was always confused by like the whole smash the patriarchy movement. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me, like what that conversation is, because, you know, I have preconceived notions. Mm. I also, I have this radical belief that the conversation that is had in the media is never actually the conversation that needs to be had. There's always a little bit of a subjugation it's like a little subsection that they try to use to polarize and divide people and Mm. i could explain that to you from everything i could tell you the actual conversation that needs to be had out of any political story like whether we want to talk about climate change abortion blah 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 like you know um everything but where we're going to start off (laughs) where we're going to start with uh the patriarchy was i i couldn't figure it out for the longest time because to me, if you have a group of people yelling around about smash the patriarchy, you know, I'm like, there's a part of me that resists it, but there has to be some truth to it because it's that feeling that I've had before with certain elements of politics, where if I get resistance towards it, it means there's something I don't understand. So Mm. where I've come to with the whole smash the patriarchy thing is that the element of truth that's in it, or at least where I've fundamentally come to understand is that we have a bunch of, and this also comes to toxic masculinity because I've always resisted that phrase as well. Yet I've realized that the truth in it is exactly what we've discussed in this podcast. And what we're bringing up is that we have a wounded masculine in society, which is the patriarchal structure that we are inhabiting at a grander scale. And it's a sub, it's mm. a sub construct of the fact that we are unable to discuss our emotions in a healthy masculine way. Therefore, we have perpetuated throughout culture this wounded masculine, this toxic toxic masculinity, which I would put the category of anger. Like if if you have to fight to express yourself, that's being toxic masculine. That's you having unhealthy regulation with your emotions. And I think the way that that has... the, The way that that has been constructed in society through this idea of smash the patriarchy, it's like, no... You know, there's utility in the patriarchy. There's utility in the matriarchy as well. The problem is, is that we have an unhealthy masculine energy that is embodying the greater scope of society. And I think a huge portion of that is the fact that men are unable to talk about their emotions, thus creating this ripple effect throughout our society Mm. and thus has a large group of people saying smash the patriarchy and, you know, blah, 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 toxic masculinity. Yeah, I think, you know, to me, um, I've always believed that, like, I've been the most sensitive person my entire life. Um, 
And I think like, you know, my own personal experience just showed me like how much I repressed in order to try to fit in. And from there, I was like, if I'm if I'm feeling this, like I can't be the only one that feels this. Right. And like you start to see it in yourself. Right. And it's like it, it almost now stops becoming like active repression of emotions and just becomes your waking being. Right. Like if you asked me 10 years ago to feel anything but anger, I couldn't like I only felt anger. I didn't even cry. You know, all I you did what it feels was like. get angry because I yeah. And I, I don't even know how to express it. Right. Like I get angry. And then once that gets, you know, you know, at the time, I, you know, when I was 16, I'm living at home with my parents. I got angry. They then yell at me for getting angry. I then shut down. And like, I'm just angry. I'm a ball of little anger. And I just sit there until, you know, they come, they give me my stern talking to, I nod my head through it. And then like, we move on. And like, you're internalizing all of that. And then, you know, you leave home and you go off to school and, you know, you or, or you go off into the world and you start meeting friends. And then the things that get reinforced are, did you have sex with somebody last night? How, how long, how late did you stay out? And did you party? Uh, you know, like nobody's like, did you get good grades? Like, are you getting good grades? Like, how's your, you know, how are you doing? Like, are you feeling good? Like, oh, have you met anybody that like you really enjoy spending time with? It's no, who'd you fuck? How long did you stay out last night drinking? How much weight did you lift in the gym yesterday? And like, that is the repetitive cycle that like continues to happen, right? And like, you can have both. You could be the most manly man of all time that literally has muscles on top of his muscles and like still be like in tune with your emotions and want to like care about other people. Like it is not, it is not feminine to have feelings and care. It is human to have feelings and care. And I think- we lose that um, because we keep telling ourselves we're only allowed to be a certain way and society keeps rewarding us for being a certain way. And um, yeah, I mean, gosh, the amount of like pain that could be dissipated if people were able to just see their emotions and talk about them. Um and I think it's why like men's groups are so, you know, prolific now and like continuing to pop up. Um, it's just, you know, most people don't find them until they're in their thirties and they're now like, you know, married and their wife is kind of like, Hey, look, you need to go find some guys that you can be open with. Um, and you know, say what you want about religion, whatever your belief is, I will say the one benefit of it is like you, you have a community, you have a group of people that are similarly going through experiences that you can kind of be open with. And as our society becomes less a religious state and more, you know, separated out of like, uh, you know, we're kind of on the, on the camp of, um, secularism, you know, it's like, there will be less and less people that you connect with and less and less connections that you can build. And you will keep trying to fill that void. Um, well, and that's with anything. Right. And if you're only, this is reminding me of our alcohol conversation because we don't, because we are social creatures. There's an element, there's an element of yeah. us where we need to interact. We need to be social. We need to find people to talk to. I mean, this is why the pandemic was so crazy because you're, literally getting cut off by everybody which is also a great mm. way to control and train people but that's a whole different conversation <laughs> that's a uh <laughs> it's a whole different conversation um but that is also in case a huge reason i started this podcast was to 
literally have a reason to bring on like-minded individuals to connect and to have a conversation that you're not able to have with Mm. the average run-of-the-mill person. It's like, you know, you, you go out or I go out and I find people who are talking about similar ideas. And I'm like, like, like these aren't conversations that you have with people who aren't already thinking about them. So to bring it up, like, a random yeah. dude, you're pumping gas and you see a random guy next to you. And you're like, Hey, what about the toxic masculinity that's going on in the world? You know, how are you doing with your emotions? It's like, dude, what? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not going to have that conversation yeah. with you. I don't trust you. I don't know you, yeah. but you know, if you're, and this is maybe the beauty of these social platforms is like, you know, I'm putting myself out there saying, Hey, this is what I talk about. And Andrew's putting your, you're putting yourself out there. Like, Hey, this is what I talk about. And it's like, shit, come on my podcast. Let's co-create something and talk about this together. You're expanding my awareness and you're expanding the awareness of everybody that's listening. And it just has Mm. this profound effect, I think on, well, I know it does on the world and hell, even me. And this is kind of where I started was, it was like, and this is such a funny parallel with you is, you know, there's that, I started this because of that. Like I wanted to have these connected conversations and meet people and share these conversations but then there was still that itch of like, oh, this podcast is only getting 20 downloads. All right, it's back to 15. Now it's up to 25. And But it's mm. like, you know, removing mm. yourself from that number. And like you're saying, it's like, wait, there is a part of me that does want to quote unquote be famous. But at the same time, I'm realizing, and this is actually a part of the thing that it contributed to my anxiety earlier today, which was um, I came across, a, there's like this... Uh, person that I really want to have on the podcast, a uh, super aligned guest. I'll put her name out there. Elizabeth April, if you've heard of her. Um, and Got it. she, she reposted being on somebody else's podcast. And when that happens, I can't help, but to not investigate their podcast. Well, this person yeah. has 10 episodes and they have people like Dr. Joe Dispenza, Elizabeth April. I think Bruce Lipton was on yeah. one, like all these big names and I'm sitting there and this is what contributed to my anxiety. It's like, dude, I've been doing this for nine months and yet this kid only has 10 episodes. You know, I have 30 some and it becomes this whole comparison tool yeah. and, I'm, and I'm laughing because I'm realizing, yeah. you know, it. and so it's like, okay, shit, like there is a portion of me that like the ego is still there. It still wants and is grabbing at this mm. fundamental idea of, let's say, achievement or recognition within the spirituality and consciousness community to want to be big. But it's like, you know, I, I've taken a step back and I'm like, you know, I wonder if had I started out with those types of people on my page, would I be reaching out to Andrew? Would I be reaching out to certain other people that I'm bringing on the account mm-hmm. who maybe are smaller? You know, and so the question within me is like, well, okay, I'm doing this for long term, right? So I'm doing this for long term. I'm doing this to help people. I'm doing this for the bigger picture. So maybe it's actually in my best interest that I don't get those people on. Maybe big picture, big, big scale. It's like, well, maybe I'm learning what it's like to connect with people who aren't of that size. Maybe I would have so much anxiety yeah. built up for those interviews that it would be a terrible interview. You know, I can't really say for sure, but you know, so I, I don't know where I'm kind of yeah. going with this, but uh, you know, I, I guess I was just relating to your, the, the egotistical desire for wanting to be fame and recognized versus wanting to balance that mm. with actually helping people and connecting with other people. Yeah. 
I think, uh, you know, it's funny. It's like, I feel like if, uh, if we sat for like five minutes and just looked back at this episode, like we would probably find three or four like principles on like how to operate in life that like, you know, allow you to, cause I feel like, you know, we keep touching on kind of the same stuff, but I think you're spot on, right? It's like, if, um, everything that you're doing is happening for a reason and you know, yeah. So what, you know, I'm a rising TikTok star. Like, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not like a household name that you're like, this is awesome. But like, I think what's cool is like, you get to hone your craft. You get to, you know, find your love for the art form of podcasting, right? And it's like, everybody has to start somewhere. And I think it's like, it's so hard to look at somebody and be like, you know, they you know, you look at somebody and you don't see all of the work that they've put in, right? Like, I think one of my favorite quotes is like, an overnight sensation is not an overnight sensation. They put in the work right. for 10 years that allowed them to lay the foundation to become an overnight sensation, right? Like, you look at somebody, one of my favorite podcasters is Jay Shetty. And, you know, he used to host a show for Huffington Post before he hosted his own podcast. Like, you know, there's there there are things that you don't see happening behind the scenes that like, you know, who knows how this kid is like connected to these guests, you know, who I used to host exactly. podcasts for the company I worked for, you know, nobody would know this stuff because it's like, not also like, you know, it's not the same name. It's not the same vision. So it's like, you know, similar to like, as I was saying too, and it's all a practice, right? It's all, all of it is like a daily continual practice. Like your ego is never in my mind, like never just going to die and be gone. Like you can get separation from it, but then it's a constant work of like, when you see it rear its head, just like with anxiety, when you see it rear its head, how can you talk to it? How can you work through it? How can you kind of overcome it in order to like free yourself up to be free, right? Like, that's like what we're all trying to do is like the end of the day, we all just want to be content at peace, happy, enjoying our lives, working towards something greater than us contributing to the planet. But, you know, we stay stuck in these lower operating modes of anxiety, of desiring comfort, wanting security, wanting to fit in. And, you know, most of the people that stand out don't fit in for a reason. So I feel like, you know, finding a way to be okay with who you are, love that person, and then just keep putting that out into the world. And like, yeah, if if it's not working from like a numbers perspective for you, I think, like I said, you know, I, I do so much analytics on what works and what doesn't because like, you know, and, and getting more back to like the business sense before, you know, for a little is just like something like TikTok has a game to it, right? Something like podcasting too, like there is a game to it, right? Like it's kind of like there are little tricks you can do. And like, you know, I, for me, it's like, all right, I, I have spent hours looking at hooks and like, what are the first two to three seconds? How can I take the same message? And when I draft out content, I literally have this. What is my main message? What is the hook? Now let me write the script. And like that allows me to like really hone in on what I, I deem to be what has separated, you know, some of my good videos from some of my bad ones is um, what do I say to you right away that like gets you to stay? And like, you know, that's a very tangible takeaway for somebody that's like, all right, if I want to keep the same messaging, maybe I just go look at hooks and I just start doing that because you can keep your message if you just like change a tiny little thing around. Right. And, um, you know, I think in the podcasting space, it's like every, you know, when you get a bunch of reviews on the podcast, like it does, you know, boost the algorithm a bit on Apple, on Spotify. So, you know, kind of like gaming the system a little bit. Right. I think like whether people like or dislike Tim Ferriss, I think that's like his greatest gift is like he is able to figure out 
how to play within the systems and then like game them to his desire. Um, and I think finding what you love, figuring out how to like make that work and then continuing to do it. Um, you know, that's kind of the path in my mind for life. And that's why it's like, I completely agree with you. You know, when I realize my ego is popping up or I realize I'm unhappy with what I'm doing, it is when I need to take a step back so that I can keep moving forward. Right. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, there's a lot of truth in there and I'm kind of blanking. So for me, that kind of indicates, I think we should try to wrap this up. I love it, man. Um, let's wrap it. Let's wrap it up. So I'm going to drop all of your links down below in the show notes. We'll talk about what those links are. Uh, I also always love wrapping this up by giving my guests the floor. So, I mean, you've dropped incredible wisdom so far, but if you have anything (laughs) you want to put the cherry on top or, you know, plug yourself, plug whatever, you know, the floor is yours to connect with the audience. I, um, I don't, I don't have much to plug. I, um, you know, I think right now my, my whole thesis in life is, is how can I for myself not settle for fine and make my life amazing. And by doing that and like simultaneously sharing what has worked, be able to help people do the same. And I think, you know, um, no matter what age you are, I know it, it, it varies depending on, you know, how old you are, but I think to some extent we're all settling. Um, and I would like to have a world where people don't settle and maybe that's naive and maybe that's, you know, my desire to like build something that was greater than like what I had seen come before me. But I think we live in one of the coolest times ever. Uh, there's a lot of shit wrong. There's also a lot of shit, right. Um, you know, and, um, I think for people that have ideas and have dreams, just start doing them because like, it's never, it's never a straight path, right? Like your idea is great until you put it out in the world and get, you know, kind of a feedback response on it. And like that, that has been the biggest trap to me is like, you can have great ideas in your head, but until you start doing them, they're just going to be ideas. So, um, don't settle for fine. Life should be amazing and get there by doing, not by just thinking. Andrew Feinstein. I love it. The wise words. So guys, and I appreciate you, man. Thank you for, for creating this platform too, man. I think, you know, before we end anybody that's made it this long, obviously loves you and like, maybe likes me a little. And I think just remembering, uh, and wanted to shout out, man, that you're, you're creating great work in this world, man. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. More to come <laughs> guys. This was Andrew. Absolutely. This is Andrew Feinstein. So, um, check out his links below. Uh, I really don't have much more to add, I guess, you know, evaluate your life. Check out those reconditioned uh, phrases and thoughts that are going through your head. Um, But we're going to get out of here. So thank you very much for listening this far. And with that being said, let's continue to grow together. 